how old are you now, Joe? I'm old. That old, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no numbers. Thirty-seven. For it. Okay. Wait, yeah. And that might not even be right. I feel like I had this conversation with a friend of mine recently, and he counted on his fingers, and I was like, that can't be right. And he's like, I used my fingers. You saw. <laughs> <laughs> what year were you born, Joe? Eighty-three. Yeah, it's twenty twenty. Yeah. It's, it's a seven. We've had a birthday math conversation every episode so far. We did this one before we even did the intro, so yeah. Well, no, make we'll, the app. I'll, I'll splice it into the. We'll splice the theme oh, song. Oh yeah! Speaking of intro, here we go. And you're listening to the Super Week Super Weekly podcast. I'm your host, Evan. It's not the name. I am also your host, <laughs> Doc Chris Bag Levo Bag. And I'm also your host, Andy Wilson. And I am also your host, Mikey Paul Jonathan Davis Tajjian. And our guest today... I gotta come up with a cool Jumpin' Joe Reinhardt! <laughs> 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 yeah, you might know Joe from his band Hopalong, also formerly of Algernon. I say Algernon uh, Cadwallader, is that right? You know, I've heard Cadwallader, I've, I've heard a bunch of different versions of... Beauty is in the eye of the beer holder. <laughs> you call I'm holding the beer a, right now, and yeah. the uh, and answer is Cadwallader. Cadwallader, there you go. Right now. We are all the beer holders tonight, because in honor of Joe, we're, we're cracking some cold boys. But he's also, you know, he runs Headroom Studios along with our friend Kyle Pulley. The bands that he was in with Evan, it's a shorter list this time around, was just Mike Bell and the movies. We've played in other bands together. Consistently? Yeah, I asked Joe, and he said that he couldn't remember. <laughs> uh, I tried out for No, Algernon. I said I didn't want to be asked a million questions I didn't know the answer to. <laughs> no, you're way more hostile on Mike. You're way more diplomatic earlier. I, you're supposed to bring the drama, right? Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's what the fans want. I'll say this: I tried out to play drums in Algernon Cadwalder. Thank God they chose Tank over me. Because Did you? I am, oh yeah. See, you don't even remember. Those are crazy times, man. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of drums, Joe played drums on the song that we're going to be talking about and listening to today. You might know Joe from his work playing guitar most of the time, but Joe's a drummer. Yeah, he does it all. Joe played in a band called The B Team, played drums. With Mikey's sister, oh, Chrissy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I took Mikey's place for some crazy batshit <laughs> reason. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to get into that, Mikey? Should we dredge it Did up? I go off to the military? Then? You I think went you off to the military. military. Yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> what an idiot. Yeah, this guy. Well, now he's a genius. That's Yeah, those days are behind him. I loved watching you play, though. Even this song we're about to listen to, I remember... I, I think I remember watching y'all like, practice it, maybe, but I just remember like your very Muppet style, like, bouncing around. <laughs> I just remember... Just the fills are just like... That stiff looking... <laughs> yeah, well, you may, yeah. No, it's, it's not. <laughs> it looked, yeah, it looked very. There's like a, like a, a marionette-esque quality to it. I think that's Mikey's trying to get across. I've been described as a mutt, but I, I'll take that. I like that. I, I'll never forget the day you got out of the military and you walked back into, you kicked open the door, we were playing a show, and you punched me in the face and grabbed the drumsticks and you sat down and nailed the drum solo. Right in front of all those people, hundreds and thousands of people. Mikey is in shock right now. He does not. I was know. wearing a dress. That's a, yeah. My first show back, I, the Rotundra. Uh-huh. Rotunda. Rotunda, yeah. Rotunda, yeah. yeah. I don't remember that. <laughs> I remember it crystal clear. Still got the bruise. Man, it's making me think about the first time I met you, Joe, is when we had ear training together at Drexel, or if it was when I recorded the B team at WKDU. But either way, you were dressed the same, where you had like a baseball tee on. And like big reflective aviator sunglasses or some kind of sunglasses. Like sure. That. But I remember when you walked into that ear training class, we were 
20 minutes into the 30 minute class. It was definitely the fourth or fifth class that we had had at that point, And I hadn't seen you there yet. <laughs> and wearing you, sunglasses that said, don't bother me. Pretty much. That was the message you were sending off. But you walked in while we were doing like the mommy makes me mash my M&Ms like vocal thing. And you just like collided with the desk and like made like, like enough noise that everybody just like whipped around still mid mommy makes me mash my whipped around and looked at you. And then even though we were all setting up singing, you just like slid into the desk and sat down trying to look as inconspicuous as possible after the, the ruckus you just brought in. Wow. And I was like, man, I hope I never have to hang out with that guy. He seems like a fucking wreck. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of remember having this rules like you didn't have to go the first couple weeks. You know, they wouldn't really notice if you weren't there. there you weren't learning anything that important. That was just how I went through the- college yeah and you went through it you got through it so it's a system that works i you know i don't know i they still want me to pay them back haven't gotten around to that yeah well (laughs) when the podcast thing takes off i got a cut in this right that's what we decided oh yeah (laughs) yeah if we get to like advertise like purple mattresses or something you're gonna get cut in for your 15 cents purple mountain dew Oh, dude, you know what? There hasn't been a Purple Mountain Dew yet, right? No, there definitely has. Pitch Black was purple. Well, incidentally, because they couldn't get it black enough, I think. Well, it was still purple. Yeah, (laughs) it has that real windshield wiper fluid quality. I'm sure there was also other purple ones. You should have just added (laughs) Coca-Cola. To what? (laughs) (laughs) To make it blacker. (laughs) Then it wouldn't be Mountain Dew anymore. That desired color, though. (laughs) There's other food dye that isn't just full-on Coca-Cola, though. Be honest. <laughs> Caramel color. Anyway, the song is John Denver on guitar, right? I think it's John Denver on guitar. John Denver on guitar again. Yeah, John. Well, that's it, the, well, <laughs> hey, no spoilers. We're nah, not there yet. Right. So real quick before we dive into it, I'll just give a quick recap. For those joining us for the first time, back in 2012, the Super Weeks, formerly The Weeks, tried to do a project that was a song a week where we would record a song with whomever was around and try to write it and record it within a week so we could release it and put it up online and people could hear it and, you know, we could feel good about ourselves for having done something with our lives because being young 20-somethings who lived in a giant warehouse together and didn't really have jobs otherwise... We really could have been doing a lot of other things that weren't creative. But the reason we lived in that warehouse was to be creative anyway. Either way, I might be digging myself into a hole, so just forget about whatever I was talking about. (laughs) And this was actually the first song we recorded. Last week, we did a song called The Beauty and Everything. That was the second song we recorded. This was the first one we ever recorded. We just didn't finish it in time to release it the first week. Did this also coincide with me getting my tonsils removed too, or was it just coincidental that we didn't finish it? This, I think, coincided with you getting your tonsils removed and you were getting them removed and couldn't mix it. Mm -hmm. And that's why we didn't release this one first. They wouldn't let me bring my speakers into the... (laughs) I hate that. To the the OR. That's why I try not to get hurt. Oh, I should try that. Yeah, Yeah, I just keep getting hurt and it's not working out so far. (laughs) Also, I guess that extra week... Gave us a lot of time to experiment on this song and do cool things like, well, you'll hear it. Let's just take a listen. Without further ado. There he is, Joe Reinhardt. Falling all over myself again. My new heart won't seem to let you in. John Denver's playing the guitar again. 
That's still the coolest song we've ever done. <laughs> That's cool as shit. Yeah, was, was that steel drum at the end? Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. I was going to say, I think I might have peaked. There. <laughs> was, uh, Just the choir, the choir of friends, too, on the chorus there. Like I didn't even know. I forgot Greg sang on it. Francis was singing on that. Peter was singing on that. I heard a bunch of voices there. You, you did great. That, I, I think, I mean, I definitely peaked. That was the time where, like you said earlier, like, because of like just the warehouse vibe, none of us were really doing shit besides playing in a hundred bands. As far as creativity is concerned, like I was pretty much just like in a robe dragging a guitar around. That is, <laughs> uh, as somebody who lived with Joe during that time, that is one hundred percent accurate. Evan speaking as a man who is in his underwear, his tidy whities <laughs> dragging a guitar around. <laughs> well, you know, Joe's is a bit skinnier than I am, and you know, likes to dress up nice. I don't like wearing clothes. Dress like, up nice. He's <laughs> It's not like a silk robe. I'm sure it probably oh was. Knowing God. Joe, Joe probably went to a thrift store, got a brand new silk robe somehow for a dollar. At a thrift store? Wait, on Evan. tour. <laughs> what? That's not what a thrift store is. Brand new silk robe? Why can't you find a brand new silk robe at a thrift store? You can find anything anywhere. It's, it's like an estate sale, sale uh, repository, basically. Joe, yeah. where'd you get this brand new silk robe? It was given to me by my mother, I believe. Was it silk? No, it, was, it got crusty fast. <laughs> oh, so you're saying it's like silk plus. It's silk plus some crust. Is it green? It's not green. It's red. It's very Christmas red. Oh, wow. It's mm. had it for a very long time. It's almost uncomfortable. It's so like hard and itchy. And <laughs> <laughs> I can still have it. It's, Wait, have you? It's not comfy. I got to wash it or get a new one. Yeah, I don't know. Gonna, how, I don't have know you how it washed works. it ever? Well, I just got a washing machine. So that you, I don't have to pay for out. it. Yeah, yeah, I don't have to pay for yeah, it. Like, I, don't, I don't even have to keep quarters around anymore. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I digress. Well, Evan actually got me a silk robe recently at it's a warehouse. It's not silk, sale. it's fake oh, silk. Oh, fake silk. It's stage silk. But it, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get why you'd want to wear a robe all the time playing guitar. 
Mm-hmm. It's a better way to live for mm-hmm. sure. I can just it, like literally the second you said Joe wearing a robe, like dragging a guitar around the warehouse, I just picture you walking out of your room, literally dragging <laughs> your court acoustic guitar behind yeah. you, just like <laughs> walking to the kitchen, being like, "Well, time to make breakfast, I guess." Yeah, another day in the office. That was a a good good creative time. What do you remember about that time in your life? A lot of doing the kind of stuff we did. A lot of, for some reason, maybe it was because we didn't have the money to buy quality digital recording equipment and, like, the front end to go before it. Mm-hmm. I think, I know my personally was, like, super obsessed with tape because mm-hmm. it just sounded better than whatever, like, you know, $300 mic pre into whatever Motu the fuck we were using. Yeah. So if we just used whatever into the tape machine, it was going to sound better. Therefore, we like super had to have our shit together. So me playing the drums, which I didn't really do, every time I had to play the drums with somebody or for somebody or just jamming, it was always to tape. And it was just like, why can't we just take the last chorus, which I nailed, and it was just never an option. It was always just like, I'm either too tired or it's not going to get better than that or some combination of the two. We got to use that drum take. If I remember correctly, there was only like three takes that we did too. Like you nailed it pretty quickly and there's no trickery. I mean, obviously it sounds like a smushed up tape sound, but- It is a tape. We just recorded that to the 388. It was the 388. Yeah, the 8-track, yeah. Yep. And it was with just with the two mics for the drums, right? There's mm-hmm. a kick drum mic and the one hanging from Peter's steps. Yeah, the classic the steps. Pete Helmus just drum hanging mic over the under kit. his steps yeah. mm-hmm. technique. The old premiere kit and the fucking steel snare drum with a t-shirt on top of it. And... Yeah, it's a vibe. It sounds awesome. It does I mean, sound awesome. It does sound awesome. But I also just got Sketch cassette. Oh, you guys yeah. Know about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. That plug-in, I love yeah, it, dude. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I put it on anything. I'm just like, I love this. This sounds like... Growing up, did you see they just came out with a new with version? a mix knob? I know it's the great. It's too, with the mix knob. I feel like we've had this conversation where we're like, we just put this on everything. Like we it's, did it's about bad. that plugin. Yeah, we talked about how like it's on all of our master buses, and we're oh, just like, yeah. is this okay? <laughs> is it okay that we're just putting a fake tape machine, yeah. like a fake four track tape machine plugin on our master buses, and it's just making everything sound? amazing i think so yeah i do too i, I don't do, I, I can't I don't stop know. using yeah it. it's amazing <laughs> but now they added a mix knob to it and i'm just like oh i can literally dial in the amount of amazing i want mm-hmm. instead of it being all amazing or not or like you know holding it back a little bit either way great don't hold in. back shout out aberrant dsp rochester new york i really hope they one day collaborate and make a pedal of that plugin with adventure audio also from Rochester, New York. Anyway, this isn't an advertisement for that plugin. I like the sound shifter too. Oh, shape shifter. The the compressor. It's like a distortion compressor. It's like the Devil Lock and like the Wolf compressor had a kid, but with more controls. I haven't bought it yet. I've been stingy. It's twenty bucks. I know, dude. Believe me, I bought I bought twenty dollars <laughs> worth of Christmas lights today. I should have just bought that plug in. Yeah, Evan, you've never been stingy. That's not. That's just not a character. <laughs> Mix in the dark. <laughs> no, it's for the basement for when we jam. Wow. Think about that. I am, and it's awesome. <laughs> Okay, so going back to that song a little bit, Andrew, you were motioning during the hand clap or the snaps part. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to do. Me and Peter Helmus did that one. That was a combination of like a finger snap, breaking a chicken bone, and crumpling up like the 
plastic wrap from when you open. This is going to sound dated, but when you had those big like 30 packs of blank CDs, the plastic wrap, the shrink wrap on it. And that's us crunching that in our hand. And so that's what we layered to make that sound. And that's still like probably the most advanced thing I've ever done in my life when it comes to percussion, because Peter's a madman and decided that breaking he's a vegetarian but breaking the you know chicken wing bones you know made a great sound and that's what you're hearing is that definitely did it for me it, <laughs> i believe it. i loved it too and peter had a steel drum for some reason and then putting it at the end of this i made it on a bunch of records if i, I recall <laughs> it's so sick a bunch meaning like way more than we thought it would ever but uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like at the warehouse that's like everything yeah we had Oh, this will probably get used once, and then mm-hmm. like all of a sudden, you put the vibra slap on literally every record you've mm-hmm. ever made. Yeah, that that chico bone was nothing but dust by the time we were done with it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, Joe, what was it like starting Headroom back in those days? I mean, 2012, you were a little bit in. The whole atmosphere was great because obviously we didn't pay any overhead, so we could just make records for very, very little bit amount of money. 333 is that what rent was when there were nine people living yes three thousand dollars a month for the whole space that's bonkers bonkers so the the cost of living was very inexpensive so to be able to make records for so cheap which is good because I mean I made a, I, I ruined a lot of people's records. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe and I, and, and I got to feel good about not charging them. I was like, look, what do you want? I, it was we did the whole record for six hundred dollars. I did a bad job. You're you right. aren't the, <laughs> you aren't the record producer you are today because you did a bad job on anyone's record. I think I am because you know it's I, I was allowed the opportunity to have those learning experiences. You know I wasn't thrown into the fire which is a way to learn that would have been nice but it was just like there wasn't the pressure like i could spend forever taking something from bad to okay you know what i mean like there was just there wasn't any pressure and it was financially easier to do because we we ate out of the trash literally (laughs) (laughs) we ate out of the trash and only paid 300 dollars in rent and it was just like yeah I i can make your record for nothing i don't think any of them ever sounded bad though I was listening to Snowing today. It was great. There was something, somebody had booked the studio and I didn't have the foresight to do it all on the calendar ahead of time, but maybe it was you. I don't remember, but people were in the studio. Maybe you were working on a Ponies record. I had to do the whole thing on headphones. Like I did 90% of that mix on headphones. I listened to it now. It's like, it sounds like I did it on headphones. It sounds great. <laughs> headphones. It, sounds, it sounded great in my car all right, today. All right. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll have to revisit it. Maybe I won't be so harsh on myself. I mean, they're great songs. They're great players. They're, it was, I mean, yeah. it was also like, the time and like the way that it sounded i feel like your work kind of defined the way that that genre sound at that sounded at that time so i apologize to the the, the genre (laughs) as a whole (laughs) i mean no need to apologize it is what it is it was a great time it really was you know everything was extremely exciting because we were young and hadn't done anything before so everything we did was very exciting but uh tracking drums to that 388 just to (laughs) Just to recall, it was always very hard. It was fun because you could slow them down and like make it sound. It was always fun doing that with the vocals. Did you guys ever do like the Beatles Dr. Dog thing? Oh, you yeah. always read we about did that everywhere. a lot on the Rain Clouds record. Uh, I don't know if we'd use that tape machine for that, though. I bet you we did it on this song. Or we probably used the Atari to finish this song. Because usually what we would do is when we ran out of tracks on 388, dump it to the 24 track. Oh, really? And then mm-hmm. finish the rest on the 24 uh. track. 
Yeah, and I'm, I must have done some kind of various because I recorded like the choruses, like those harmony parts. That's like three or I guess six because I doubled it, layers of my voice. And like I'm not even that Whoa. great of a singer now, but at that time I definitely didn't know what I was doing. So there was probably some some trickery going on there, so I could yeah. Do it I'm gonna say out of breath. Absolutely, we slowed the tape machine down or whatever the one was that you do to make it sound super tight when it's. Are you slowing it down first? Speed. Yeah, back to speed. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure we did that because a lot of that's also really high. Yeah, the, the chipmunk trick. Yeah, yeah. like Robert yeah. Plant stuff. Yeah, I always love it. It's just like I sound amazing. Yes. Man, I thought that was you playing guitar on the chorus at one point because there was like that, you're like a twinkly kind of, I think it's probably me trying to copy your style because like some of the other songs that we'll cover later, you can do this thing like you play these really bizarre chords because your hands are gigantic. And then while you're doing them, you're also doing vibrato on the entire chord. It's like, (laughs) I guess it's like physically impossible for most people to do that. And it's like a super cool sound that you're doing. Oh, thank you. I don't know if the vibrato was intentional. (laughs) <laughs> i think it probably was in uh what is it i'll meet you in the graveyard i know it's the one where he just does the solo so i'll meet you in the graveyard he does the whole song yeah that one the the one that i wrote on about being on mike bell tour when we slept on the beach in pensacola and ate chipotle uh 10 times in 10 days but days. but two of the days we didn't eat it but two of the days we ate it twice yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think it yeah, it was 100% that tour because it was the Ace the Ace van where okay. we set up the – there was like a couch in the back and we mm-hmm. had the CD player and the coffee maker. Fart all, box, no windows. All wired wow. in. Yeah, it was awesome. Wendell was there. It was great. There was oh a rug. God. There You put a painting up or Pete put a painting up. It was great. Mike Beltor was fun. Living the good life. But yeah, that song, the guitar you did in that song. If you look at your phone now um, – <laughs> You'll see... Uh, upload the image for <laughs> Joe you. Joe just looked at his phone when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, like, remember Joe playing and just, like, you know, probably about seven frets with his pinky all the way on the low strings and his, like, pointer finger on the high strings and just, like, doing these crazy chords. Mm-hmm. You'll hear it. We'll get to that episode right. in a few. Andrew, hit it. Let's hear it. No, no, no. Don't oh, we're playing that song. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Uh, what was it like touring with Evan and Mike Bell's band? We were hungry a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, all right, well, we need to call these Chipotle's to make sure we got the free food lined up. Mm-hmm. I think for that specific tour that we were, were referring to, Joe and I left with a combined $25 for the entire 10-day tour to figure out how to survive. And like, you know. A lot of people feed us, and we called Chipotle's like mad. Mike Bell mostly because he's very somehow very persuasive. Or Do you remember good. the spiel? Do you oh, like a little bit? It was like oh, I was like hi. Can I speak to your manager? Do you remember it? I remember. I we modified it later for our our tours. Keep keep going. You're in the zone. I, I'm not. I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah. Speak to the manager. Yeah, that's yeah. the first movie. Yes. Okay, I'll I'll be the manager. Okay, okay. you go. Hey, uh, uh, well, I'm in a touring band from Philadelphia, and we've been... Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a touring band from Philadelphia, and we know that Chipotle's help out touring bands with free food, and we've been helped out in the past. I was wondering if you would be able to help us out today with a free burrito. See, yeah, I, we, I never heard anything like that. We um, shortened it a lot from there, because the thing is, it's, <laughs> you don't want it to appeal to precedent, because then they can just be like, oh, that's not our policy. We don't do that here. 
first asked for the manager, hey, I'm calling on behalf of the band The Super Weeks. We're on tour from Philadelphia. We're just wondering if you could help us out with some meals today. Yeah, yeah, Keep it very simple because then they feel like they're doing it out of the kindness of their heart Mm -hmm. instead of it being like company policy we're trying to tap into. But every once in a while, they get smart with us. And there was a guy, I think it was in North Carolina maybe, and he's like, yeah, sorry, I can't help you out. Dave Grohl took all our free food yesterday, and he hung up on me. And I was like, damn, he just roasted my ass. That so yeah, son of a crap. Yeah. But we've been vague like that before, and then we show up, and they're like, no. Yeah, we got to like, feel oh, it out. Oh, well. You got to yeah. feel it out. Well, Mike Bell has the best success rate, I think, out of anybody, right? Well, it was a necessity at that. It did. It was oh, yeah, enough. that helps. The desperation helps, for sure. It was like, Mike, Joe and Evan are leaving. Unless you provide us <laughs> with these meals. <laughs> well, it wasn't that we were leaving. It was like, we're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving our mortal form. We're past behind. leaving being yeah. an option. <laughs> and like, I remember during those tours, during those shows, like you, Peter, and Mike would all split a 30 rack. You guys could live off that. I wasn't much of a drinker, though. So I was like, I got to get this burrito or else I'm going to have no sustenance. Well, that's why I was asking is like, just seeing you and Peter, especially, but also Mike in the Mike Bell environment, you guys are all agents of chaos. And Evan is like such a, like a steady, passive, you know, not quiet, but like not as uh, unpredictable as the rest of you guys. I would see you guys play shows in Philly, of course. I remember one in particular, you played a Mad Mex show. Was Greg playing drums at that time, or was that still Joe? I think it was still Joe. Uh, Mike Bell had set it up because he was working It was working probably it. Joe because Mike Bell worked there. Yeah, Mike Bell worked at Mad Mex at the time. I think it was me, because I remember, I remember that. Was that the time, was that the first Parquet Courts Philly show? Possibly. I feel like it was, and I also feel like uh, Conversations maybe played? Uh, yes. I played yes, with yes, them. Yes. I played with them, so I might not have played with Mike Bell. Okay, that's, that's what it could have been. Yeah, even with that, because I remember at one point, you, Evan jumped into the drums, which I had never seen like that kind of rock star nonsense out of him before. But this was only after <laughs> everything had fallen apart to the point where Peter was so wasted. He was wearing like a, like a Nushanka hat and he had like big, and it was hot as fuck outside. And he's wearing like a, like a, like a Russian like winter hat. And he was trying to dance forward towards the crowd, but he tripped and fell into the monitor in the front of the stage and he rolled over it and unplugged his bass in the process. And as he was rolling, he threw his bass into the air, like completely into the air. And somebody in the front of the crowd caught it and handed it back to him. And he just like, without the song stopping, you guys just kept playing the song. He just accepted the bass back, put it on, walked back to his, his spot and started playing again. But he had unplugged the bass and didn't realize until like maybe a, like a song and a half later and then at that point, Greg, like something happened on the drums and you just leapt into the drums and it was kind of over. And by crowd, you mean four people. And by bass, you mean my bass. That yeah. Right, it's also your bass. <laughs> I do remember that show. I also remember that everyone was fucking shit hammered because Mike worked there. So everyone was like, Mike, get us all free drinks. So everyone was just drinking for free before the show even started. So by the time the show started, everyone was just fucking... <laughs> plastered i was even fucking plastered at that show i remember that explains why you dove like full body tackle style into the drums i feel like i don't get (laughs) super wasted all the time but when i do it's because like there's no way this show is going to be anything other than a fucking train wreck so it's just like i might as well if you can't beat them join them when you're playing in a band with the caliber of player that well, the caliber of drinker that uh, we're, <laughs> that we're playing with, when you can't beat them, join them. And like, I mean, I remember that show. That show was fun as hell. That's a good way of looking at it. That was always my uh, way of uh, acquiring rent 
at the warehouse. It was just <laughs> like, it was like, all right, well, I don't have rent. But if I go to this new casino that just opened up, I could either have rent or still not have rent. And that's one more option than I have right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, how'd it go? Probably did it like six times and every time I made rent. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I mean, damn. I only need, I was only like, you know, 100 bucks short, 120 bucks short, 40 bucks short. But if you're short, you're short. And if you have What would you play? Slot machines mixed with roulette. I do remember. Remember the blizzard. Everyone went to the casino. Uh, Is that the blizzard where you guys destroyed the back door to the warehouse? Could have been different blizzard. Could have been. <laughs> there was snowed in so bad they couldn't get the door open. It's that you guys kept kicking it until it broke, <laughs> and then it would never. It wouldn't lock again. So the door. There's just like an open back door to the ah, warehouse for like months afterwards. Out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just remember there was a period of time. There was one winter. I think it was the same one where I think it was probably 2014-ish because it was January. And I remember there was a real bad blizzard. Everyone went to the casino and yards, probably. Yes. Do you remember what I'm... Yes, I do. Peter lost his keys. Yep, sounds... We were fighting in the snow. He lost his keys. Maybe in wallet or phone. Maybe all of it. Probably things. all of it. Play fighting or, or real fighting? What was the deal? I, I, I believe it was... Good intentioned. I'm just thinking, I don't know if actually it was you involved. I'm th- remembering there's that photo of like, was it Peter on your shoulders or you on Peter's shoulders? Doesn't sound like I would be on anybody's shoulders. That doesn't shoulders. seem possible. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's, that's fair. Just thinking about all the nights that everybody got super wasted at the warehouse and just all the different chaos and it all kind of blends in to the same thing. We've brought up the habanero vodka twice so far. Do you remember that? Yes. Did you weather that okay? I did. No, I didn't. It was bad. It hurt, okay. it hurt yeah. your body. It was not a fun <laughs> thing to drink. And I pretty much am... Always okay with things that fall into that category. Yeah, no, this was not the case. This yeah, was yeah. this was instant pain. This was oops, I did something bad. I stepped <laughs> on a nail. I took a shot of this habanero <laughs> vodka. Same thing. Yeah, the same thing. Definitely. I, there is a photo of me on Evan's shoulder. Maybe that's getting a frisbee off a roof. What? <laughs> Remember, it was on that tour. I'm getting a frisbee off the roof. I, I recall that picture. I think it was in a, a supermarket. I honestly, the most astounding part of the story is that Evan may have been playing frisbee. I've tried to get him to do that like a million times on the road, and he's just like not interested yeah, right, at dude. all. Evan used to play me in hockey, and we would fucking get it in. See, he but he loves hockey. hockey. Evan is also famously right handed in all things except hockey. He's a left handed hockey player. All right, let me just put it this way every single time I have ever in my life toured with Joe Reinhardt, it was with the following people Peter Helmus. Mike Bell, Peter Martin, Chris Deem, and Tank. That's not a group I can imagine playing Frisbee. There's something really off here. I checked the Frizz. <laughs> oh, you, of course. I mean, you you look like an entire Ultimate Frisbee League as one person. So that that I believe. Joe, would you be able to like give me like a mission statement for like what touring was to you? Is to you, but I mean back then in like those days when we were doing like strictly DIY tours, like what was that? What was like the mission statement? Sell something before you leave to make some money to be able to do this thing that you love, like uh, just traveling around playing in basements or VFWs or doing whatever the fuck. There's really no other way I would have rather spent my time. Like, you know how like people always laugh at those like pay to play ticket things that mm-hmm. like the truck or wherever used to do, or you know, some sort of rip off bullshit Star, screens, yeah. Yeah. you know sort of situation but really it's like we we scoff at that but like we all like worked or had jobs or did whatever we did to be able to like do the thing that we loved which was playing in our bands and making records and going on tour i mean it's not like we came back with any fucking money 
And if we did, I I don't know where the hell it went. <laughs> Maybe we lost it or spent it on and pizza beer. and beer. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, just n- n- none of the things that like feel like they matter now when I go on tour mattered then. Do they really matter now, though? That's what, that's why I just said feel right. like they matter. Because when I mean, I'd probably still be doing it, but now that other things are an option, I'm like, well, that's cool too. <laughs> but like back then, it was just doing it because I couldn't imagine not doing it. I still can't imagine not doing it, even though we're all kind of in the middle of not doing it right yeah, now. Yeah, but we'll do it again. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna do it again. We're going to do it again. I just remember you and Pete, you were like my older brothers that I kind of looked up to, and you were the first ones to like, well, the ponies too, but touring with you guys, you had a very different vibe. You were like, let's go check out, like, there's some ruins on the side of the road in Richmond that we can like. Oh, Filmhenge? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I was just like, let's just go to Foamhenge and like, if we get to the show at nine thirty, we get to the show at nine thirty because the show's still gonna happen. Doesn't matter when we get there; it's gonna happen. <laughs> oh, no wonder our booking agent hated us so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was very much my mo. I was like, you're right. Like touring to me was very much just like I'm going. I'm a, I'm having fun. Like I'm with my best buds doing the thing I love. Like I'm in the middle of Virginia. There's a sign over there for like Dinosaur World and Foamhenge. Hell yeah, I'm going to go see Dinosaur World. I've never seen a dinosaur. Yeah, that I sounds great. Who cares if I'm fucking two hours early for the show? I don't want to be two hours early for the show. I want to be three hours late and have seen Foamhenge at Dinosaur World. And be full of pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I want to eat pizza, a burrito. I want to go, like, it's... Peanut uh, butter and jelly with sriracha. Oh, yeah, yeah baby. Oh, that was a big discovery. I yeah. want to stop at every gas station and get whatever the delicacy there is. <laughs> Just like, I mean, that's still... Touring with me to this day, I'm sure all of you can attest that. Just you, like you got a number one delicacy that you had at a gas station. I not not as far as like oh I had the best burrito at this one in here, but like some whack ass like rat burger that you were like this seems like it's what they okay. Eat. So this was recent. This was like last October. I went out to do the Earth Telephone record. We went to essentially Woodward the skate camp. Yeah, it was like we recorded that record like literally five minutes away from Woodward, like down the street. We had to pass it to get to the place. Holy shit. Where, where is house. that? It's in the middle of fucking nowhere, Pennsylvania. On our way back, we stopped at this gas station, and there was dollar slices of pizza at the gas station. The pizza slices that Chris Deem and I got were like cheese, ham, mayonnaise, and lettuce. Oh. What the fuck is that? <laughs> God. And it was fucking amazing. Huh. And Chris and I went back in and got other <laughs> slices. It's like a, a hoagie. It's a hoagie slice. Yeah, we were both like, that. We were both like, this can't be good. And then we got it. We were like, oh my god, this is, this is amazing. That was just like affirming my love for touring because it's just like you're in the middle of fucking nowhere. You go into a gas station. You're like, who in their right mind would make a pizza that's mayonnaise, cheese? and lettuce and ham and then you eat it and you're like yeah i guess that is like a ham sandwich essentially it's amazing this is amazing what about yourself oh the weirdest uh probably some sort of just like roller food oh i love those dude i love the rollers like you get all the the free things because it's free and you're hungry but you you don't know what it is so it's like the one 99 cent roller food and then just like for those of you who aren't in the room, I'm making a, a large pile. We're uploading beep, the image right now. Beep and cheese. <laughs> Look at your phone. And, 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 and onions and mustard. Two. 
it's probably about a foot and a half high, and then it comes back down into the rest of the little canyon. And you take that and you put a fork in it, and you feel bad afterwards. But it was a dollar plus tax. That is like every single night in Towers, the dorm at Drexel, the Seven Eleven next door. I would get fucking high, and I would do that. Oh yeah, the one we're not. I was pointing like it's right there, but I know what you're talking about because I would do the same thing yeah. when I was at the Drexel Studio. Exactly, you would go there, you'd be like, "Yeah, I get a hot dog. It's a dollar. I'll put mm. all the fixins on top of it, pile it, so you can't close the container." Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Boom, done. <laughs> was a dollar, <laughs> and that is how we live as mm. musicians and, and artists. Mm-hmm. That's the glamorous lifestyle everybody wants. Dude, you remember uh, dumpster diving Trader Joe's? Of course. All the feasts for months during the winter of just dumpster food. I loved coming to the warehouse just to like see what the plethora was that was laid out on that blue picnic table that was there. Pies. Bigger than three me's. One time, it was like something like 100 pies we got out of the dumpster that one time. And then we played that show at Philomoco where we brought all the pies and oh, yeah. and you know gave them out to everyone and had everyone eat all the pies at the gig. And then there was all the old meat. Kyle got sick because he ate that salmon wrap. <laughs> <laughs> it was already past due. Yeah, I think dumpster fish is that's where you're kind of starting to ask for trouble. Uh, sometimes we, we would definitely grab salmon if it was like still frozen and in the, the you know 20 degree dumpster. It was winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's was fine. When it was around that season, I know we'd all get real excited. We'd get in the van. <laughs> Dumpster season. <laughs> Dude, it was the best. What's well, Christmas? It's dumpster season. We also would get just like all sorts of bread, potatoes. Just like I remember literally having crates of sweet potatoes that never went bad because the warehouse had no heat. So it was like you just had a refrigerator. So you just like yep. could leave shit out in the middle of the warehouse in a crate and it would be fine for three months. Because it was fucking feet. 35 degrees in there for three months. The shampoo would be frozen. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to run it under the hot water. You'd have to run the shampoo <laughs> under the hot water. Yeah, but that's okay because you didn't want to get out of the shower for a while anyway. So yeah. yeah, and I also didn't want to not live in the warehouse, so it was fine. Man, speaking of DIY touring and Christine, it's making me think about the one Dangerous Ponies and Algernon tour that we did. We played a show in Lancaster in like a basement. It was Christine's house. Was it his house? Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew him at that time, so I didn't like make that connection. But yeah, it was the stomping ground. But the basement was pretty, the ceiling was pretty low, right? I can remember watching Algernon play and seeing you, you had your head ducked the entire time like while you were playing to like not be banging your head against the ceiling and the pipes, the exposed pipes and everything. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part of that <laughs> entire night was like how buck wild the crowd went because people were crowd surfing in this basement where people had to squat a little bit to like crowd surf people over them. And there was a guy who was getting pushed into the pipes and he was like dragging himself with his hands along the pipes so he wasn't getting pressed into them because the crowd was just going fucking wild. I don't know, that was like really DIY touring for me. That guy was like the peak of it, was getting to watch you guys play. I remember the, the first Algernon show I saw before we ever toured together, actually Corey was there at a basement in South Philly and I was standing near the back just trying to be safe where I wasn't going to get like run over by this like wild crowd and Corey was standing right in front of me and at one point, this is actually, this is long ago that enough that Colin was still in the band at this time, but the whole crowd was going so wild that the people in the front fell backwards and there was this domino effect where they knocked the entire crowd over going back and the last person to get hit before me was Corey. So Corey got decked and he hit me and I went flying like back into the uh, into that basement and I hit the hot water heater down there and I just like looked up and you guys were still, you were not even aware that the entire crowd had fallen over and still just like going on whatever song you were playing and I had a clear shot for like five seconds where I actually got to see you guys and then the crowd stood back up again like a, like a carnival game. Wow. 
Yeah, it was a good time. It stuck with me. I always remember the, when there's the rafters in a smaller basement, I had to stick my head between them, obviously, because mm -hmm. I'm a freak. So I would have to find a spot. Like, we'd be setting up. I'd be like, I have to stand there. And they'd be like, why? I'd be like, because there's rusty nails coming out of all the other parts of the rafters. This is the only one foot by one foot where there's no giant rusty nails for me to impale myself with. <laughs> Yeah, for the listener, how tall are you? You know, you don't have to be exact, but how tall are you in, in, in raw imperial numbers? I'm going to go 6'4". I grew, actually, recently. Congratulations. Wait, how? What's, I you got to tell me what your secret know. is. I, I need it. <laughs> you don't want You don't want this. You don't want this life. You don't, you don't want it. So, you know, the head banging was very limited because I had to have my head between the rafters. And if I bang too hard one way, you know, rusty nail. Yeah, some Saw movies. Mm -hmm. Rusty nail to yeah. the left, rusty nail to the right. And I wanted to I wanted to rock out. Well, you became very adept at rocking out with your, your neck like bent at 90 degrees and your shoulders were kind of just bouncing up again. And that was as close to head banging as you were doing. Yeah, it. I guess that's what it yeah. was. was the case. It was a move for sure. I remember at, well, that specific Philly show, the one that Chris destroyed the hot water heater at, you picked me, Chris, and Corey up in Josh Kraft's car because somehow Josh lent you his car, and also he left all of his cigarettes from Campbell in the car. <laughs> so you were just giving cigarettes out to everyone. Oh, yeah, our friend Josh was a, was a, a rep for Camel for a long time. He was one of the guys who would scan your driver's license, and you'd get a free pack of cigarettes if they scanned your information. So, yeah, they hit the mother load in the yeah, back every, of that car. I mean, I feel like it was, Josh also was just like giving everyone. He was like, "Just give me your license." <laughs> yeah, like no, give you a million care. cigarettes. Because like, if you had the bag and the device that I didn't know how to use, so I just didn't. But you just go to like a bar and be like, eighty dollar open bar." I'd be like, uh, "I work for Camel." They're like, "Go right in." <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, here's some cigarettes. And then they'd be like, here's some drinks. That's how that happened. I remember like every show in Philly, there was always like Dan Hughes and somebody else like barricading everyone away from Peter's microphone mm -hmm. when he was singing because it would get so rowdy. I forgot who the other person was. And I just remember at that show also, they were there. And that was the first time that I met Dan. First time I saw that where I was like, whoa, there's like a little squad of people that like go to these shows to like make sure that Peter doesn't get fucked with. But meanwhile, like everyone's just dumping beer all over your pedals. And like, yeah. <laughs> that's true. I got a lot, of, a lot of pedals stepped on, but I, I'm still surprised Peter has any fucking teeth after any of those <laughs> shows. You know what I mean? Just like one mic getting hit, which it always did every five times a minute. I, I still look back at this time period that we're discussing as like one of my, like I'll never forget seeing Algernon in the basement. Yeah, I I mean I've seen Algernon over fifty times because fortunately you guys let me tag along on tour. I'll never fucking forget like just the way that that all felt. I'm sure you won't either. Obviously, living it. No, no way. Yeah, yeah I love being on the road with y'all. We're at Harrisonburg, Virginia. Those were. Those were oh fun my time. god! Oh, when we yeah. played Mac Rock. Oh yeah. man, when we played Mac Rock, dude. <laughs> do you remember? I I imagine you don't because of how drunk you got. We had. I think we had both played the Clementine during the like like, like, a, like an all day showcase. Uh huh. And we went to the Elks Lodge, like, place where they had the, like, whatever their, like, cafeteria-style food they had laid out for us. And at some point on the walk back, <laughs> I think you screamed some obscenities at us from the shadows, and we didn't realize it was, like, a friend of ours because of how aggressive it sounded. And you came, like, stumbling out of an alleyway towards us. And we're like, oh, that's Joe. This is great. We're, we're safe. We're not in danger right now. But you walked all the way back to the Clementine with us, and the whole time you kept stumbling off the sidewalk into traffic. That doesn't seem and then, right. And you would just, like... <laughs> 
like swing your hand at the car and just be like, ah, fuck off. And then I like, get yeah, like, it's like, this guy keeps driving in my way. And then you'd climb back on the sidewalk. But we finally got back to the Clementine and we were outside because it was packed. Because I think Best Coast was about to play. And this was like the year that they took off. So we were just stuck out front for a little bit. I think we saw a friend of ours or something. We stopped, we started talking to them and you got distracted and you like fell into the window of the, of the venue, like face first. And while your face was pressed up against, do you not remember this at all? No, of course not. <laughs> your face is pressed into the window. I remember the, the venue. I remember Mac Rock. I yeah. remember Best Coast. Go on. You got some of the, the main facts here. This is, this is the key part for me. It was that you're, you fell face first. Your face was squished against the window. And then for you know no reason whatsoever, you just started spitting all over the window. <laughs> and there was like an unbelievable amount of saliva coming out of your face, dripping down the window. And then you leaned back and looked at it and then leaned back in and started like licking it up <laughs> to try to cover up your misdeeds. And then a waitress came storming out of the venue and she was like, hey, don't spit on the venue. And you turned around away from her and screamed down the street, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> and you turned back to her and you're like, don't worry, I took care of him. He's not coming back. <laughs> that actually does ring a bell, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was- Was the, she fooled? She was so frustrated. She just went back inside. <laughs> Would that happen to have been the same tour that I jumped in the van with the rest of you and then we ended up killing the transmission of Ben's van? Oh, I've killed so many transmissions. The amount of times I've seen a van go back on the back of a flatbed truck. You spend $700, you expect something that's going to (laughs) work. You know? So then you step it up the next time, you you know, you spend $1,300, all the way up to $1,900 at some point. <laughs> and when, when things were really taking off. When you're a touring band, $1,900 yeah. for a band is, oh boy. Mm-hmm. That's going to get you around the world and back a few times. Ooh. Nope. Nope. Yeah. So uh, as far as which particular transmission you're talking about. This I, was, we were, you were borrowing a van from Ben Roysden. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. And I jumped in the van because I think the ponies went back after Mac Rock. It was on our way to Virginia, and I was driving with you or Pete. I think, I guess, every. We were all driving together, mm-hmm. and, you know, it started smoking, and we were like, what should we do? And everyone's like, just keep going. we got to get to the gig. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was to get to a Lunchbox Fest. Okay. Because I guess Lunchbox Fest was right afterwards or something. But I just remember, I don't know. The record I, store? Yeah, 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 Josh. I just remember the... Being with you guys in that crazy self-aware van. fest, self-aware uh, fest. Yeah, That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just remember being with you guys in the van on the way to self-aware fest, and like us pulling over because the van's smoking, and looking under the van and just like watching some sort of liquid just like pouring out of it, but also like this crazy fucking smoke going everywhere out of where this liquid's pouring. And we're like, huh. Does it have gas? Mm. <laughs> like all of us trying to like scratch our heads. Like the the answer is going to come to us. Like we we we're, we're going to solve this if we keep looking at it and like scratching our beards. Oh, that was after lunchbox fest because we were driving back up and then we called Andy because we stayed at Andy and Beth's house that night and they came and picked us up. We were like, I think we destroyed this van. Can we stay with you guys again? <laughs> And they came and picked us up. And then that night, there was also a power outage there. And I just like have this very fond memory of like me, you, Pete, Tank, and Andy sitting on the porch drinking Andy's favorite beer that he like coveted. Dub Lee's? Yeah, it was like J.W. Lee or something. Yeah. 
just I remember. Like, he had this bottle of beer. He's like, I want you guys all to try this. And we're all just like sitting mm-hmm. around drinking this beer in this like beautiful, peaceful night, like even in the middle of, I guess, a hurricane or some shit. But it was like it had stopped. It's very peaceful. I do remember that. I don't know. That was a nice time, even yeah. though the van died. And then we drove 10 hours straight, and I think we stopped one time to get gas Sounds to get right. to Richmond, the Richmond show that we got to. Oh, we'll just wait. You're our guest, so <laughs> we're not going to keep talking without you here. Are you we'll, peeing? Uh, we'll take a brief intermission. We'll be back in five. In a galaxy far, far away, we're here with Joe Reinhardt. (laughs) Joe Wawa. That's like Star Wars Borat. (laughs) Yeah, fart too. (laughs) How topical. You know what? To be fair, Luke and Borat both have kissed their sister as a major part of their films they were in. Excellent observation. They're very similar. Do you think that Luke is Borat? Or Borat, Borat is just like the, the rebellion has settled on Earth and they established Kazakhstan. Makes sense. There's, he kissed his sister. That's all I'm saying. That's, that's the main thread here. Well, Bye. literally my first thought on Saturday is when I went down to the city for all the celebration that was happening. My first thought was when they went around to all the cities of images of people celebrating in the streets when... For Biden's victory. For when they defeated the empire, I just loved it. It was it was a feel good moment for me. Who do you feel like in your life is is uh, the Chewbacca who didn't get their medal when everybody else got one? Oh, uh, who would you give the medal to? Is what I'm asking. Ah, uh, just like who deserves it? You know, like uh, I'll give it to Mike Bell. He just, he just got <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> he just got married. You know, he, he's looking good. I, I you know. He's got a yeah. He's got like a like a forlorn Chewbacca kind yeah, of element you know, to him. I feel yeah. like uh, a lot of credit should go to Mike Bell. They didn't maybe always get. I'm actually astounded that you committed to answering that. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations, Mike Bell. Joe is giving you a medal for something because we used to walk around the city and do coffee. Quotation marks. Wait, explain the uh, uh, explain those, those quotation those marks. <laughs> no, just just mouth coffee and uh, write pop punk lyrics, which is apparently a thing you needed to think about. You bring us to a great thing. I, I forgot to mention in your uh, scroll up top that the glow in the darks was one of the the many oh, bands. There was man. a point in time where I had been, I had gone to every single glow in the darks show. Are you I spam. Yeah, I think so. Don't you remember? <laughs> I, I saw you guys like four or five times in a row. Probably only played four or five yeah, shows. So I saw, I've seen every Glow in the Dark show. Because none of them are outside of Philly, right? Chris, can I just always text or call you anytime I need to remember something about my life that you remember more of than me? I'm shocked that these things are coming to you. That was a good moment in time. Well, there's a few other good moments. I know I haven't toured with you guys a lot, but I didn't get to tour with Algernon nearly as much. But I remember there was one show. Maybe this might have actually been a tour to Fest, maybe, or maybe it was Mac Rock. I don't remember which one. But it was a generator show out behind like a storage facility. Fest. That was fest. That was fest. Because we didn't get to play, right? Dangerous Planet didn't get because to play. Because the whole entire show would have had to use our gear if we wanted to play the show. Oh, that's a bummer. So we didn't play it because we would have ended up playing what, like three in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then probably or actually, no, there. we probably we probably would have played first actually, but then it would have had to wait until three in the morning. Oh, that's sort of was. Yeah, yeah we were back. sleepy babies. We weren't. We weren't you know, wild animals. But I remember that show because I, I don't know if you were using pedals. Or the, you must have been. You are nowhere near them because there was a point where the crowd picked you up by your legs 
and you didn't miss a note, just like doing all of your, you know, kind of wild Joe tapping shit. And it was amazing for two reasons, not just because you were like elevated the entire time by the crowd, but also because while your feet were on the ground, you could barely stand up because of how inebriated you were. And I couldn't believe that in both conditions, like you weren't, I mean, fortunately, I guess like part of the magic comes from like open tunings and just being able to kind of like tap away at it. But it's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I didn't mean to part the kimono for the listener there, but like you kept that shit together the whole time. It was, I was like super impressed. And if you look at your screen now, you'll see the piece of tape that held all of Joe's tunings on it, on his quote unquote pedal board. I just remember seeing Algernon, you had this like big piece of orange tape or like this sticky note on the board that just had like seven different tunings written on it. I also had some tape on my guitar that was taping a picture of Nick Taza naked <laughs> to my guitar. <laughs> and that was on there for a while. That's Sidebar. Good. I don't know how I, I never saw that. I feel like he's like just like his general color palette is like like a beacon. Like you would see his his you know alabaster skin and his like rusty hair. It like, was kind of an orange colored guitar. <laughs> oh yes, I guess it blend, blended in. Yeah. Uh, what was it like writing uh, an album with Nick Tassa? Well, the early Algernon stuff, the demo was very like at least to me felt like very intense. Colin and I were in a band and we like sort of got kicked out of the band. So the Algernon demo was like me and him being like, what do we want to do? We're obviously going to keep playing. Let's do our fucking dream thing and fuck everybody else. And then I remember calling Pete when he was on tour, texting him because he was on tour or something else. Be like, hey, we started a new band. You're going to sing and play bass. It's going to be amazing. All right, get pumped. See me get back. And because he was like always on tour with like 20 different bands and i think we met nick at a party that our old bands were playing and he just jokingly was like jokingly drunkenly was like hey man let's start a band that sounds like american football he doesn't sound like that but that's those were his words and we we're like yeah sure let's do that and that's how that happened but with the album it seemed i don't know like everybody was doing a million different things and it took forever to record and the idea of like when we were like let's make an album like that to me was just so mind-blowing because like we had never made nobody nobody made albums you made demos and like eps at the most and like the fact that it was going to be an album was just like seemed so fucking extra and it was also nobody was like giving it like 120 percent like we're it was just like all over the place everybody was living their own lives it just was coming from a lot of different directions eventually it started like sounding like something and we we're like holy shit and we kind of ripped through the rest of it pretty fast especially because me and peter saw uh ian talk at drexel in discord in mckay fugazi minor threat etc and he was like kids these days they're spending forever on the records go home and finish your fucking records was basically the gist of it and we just kind of looked at each other and bolted and finished the record pretty shortly after that but uh, writing the record with Nick, as to your question, I don't know why I ran it, not on that. It's easy to play the drums, I think, to what somebody else is playing. A- anybody picks up an instrument, like there's a beat that that instrument is playing. But depending on the genre or what the song wants or needs or whatever else the fuck is happening, you don't necessarily need to play the beat that that instrument is already playing like so like a songwriter comes with you with like vocals and a guitar pattern and they start doing it the drummer starts you know kind of doing what that already is but in my mind i'm just like well it doesn't always need to be that 
And I think that's something I maybe learned from Nick because he would write it as if maybe that guitar and the drums were the only things happening in the song. So like, you know, everything can't be just right on that same thing. So he was writing what I thought was like complimentary drum parts yeah, I think to the things that were going on. I love Nick's drums a lot. Yeah. I think that a lot of the stuff he did on both the demo and the first record are just like crazy. Also on Dogs on Acid stuff. Like I love Nick's style. I love oh, Tank's yeah. style too, but I just think that like the way that they they both differ immensely in how they play and I love and respect how they both play so much. And how when you distill it down, it's both so very different. And that's really cool to hear that. I don't know. I never thought about it as he's like honing in on one aspect. And it's like, these are the only two things that exist in the whole song, you know? Like, I think he's honing away from it. He's playing something like that fits into it right. instead of on top of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Complimentary, like you right. said. Whereas in Dogs and Acid, he's like, this is the thing. He's like, this isn't the most exciting thing, but it's the perfect thing. Like, boom, ka, boom, ka. It's yeah. like, okay, sorry, you kind of got to play there because it kind of sounds fucking amazing when you play that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the level of tastefulness that he had in Dogs on Acid was like such a, not to say that there was anything tasteless happening in Algernon, but like it was an evolution of a drummer like doing like old guy rock. Like we all go through it. Like you're younger, like, like yeah. you, you want to do like every possible note, every possible thing all the time. And then after a while, he's like, you know, I just want to fucking count to four and have a good time. And it just fucking feels good. Amen. Yeah. Every time I see Nick now, he's like, why do I play the drums? He's like, why did I pick this instrument? And it's just so funny. But- His kit just keeps getting smaller. <laughs> like now he shows up. It's just like, hi, hi. He's like, this will be good. I, I'm feeling this. I was like, no, you're just being lazy. <laughs> but I think Pete in that band was the, you know, because Nick's parts were moving around. The guitars were obviously kind of batshit. But like Pete was the one who's like, all right, check it out. I'm going to play this whole note for like like 20 bars. <laughs> I'm going to do as little as possible because there's nowhere else for me to play in this song because you motherfuckers are taking up all the sonic real estate. We're not to mention too, like he, <laughs> he tuned up a whole step, right? Wasn't that his tuning was F sharp yeah. standard instead? So like just by default, he's not living in typical bass territory too. I don't know. There was a lot of this, like, like those small nuances going on in the Algernon stuff that just like inherently made it a little bit different. I forgot about him. I forgot about the bass thing. Yeah, it's, it was so bizarre to me. Yeah, I'm glad, yeah. I'm, I'm glad I'm still picking up your slack right now. <laughs> but yeah, I remember asking him about it. The reason I found out is because he and I were playing in cold fronts together and he forgot to tune his bass down when we started a set one time. And he was just like, oh yeah, whoops, I'm not supposed to do this. And then he had to tune it down and his, in- and his intonation was fucked up the whole time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like Probably a cool little choice. Definitely. Yeah, also it was, it was a bow and arrow when he was done with it. <laughs> oh, you know, at that time he might it might have oh, been when he bought that weird shitty SG bass that he had that sounded like No, the, he had that before. He had that when we did the demo and we we re-recorded the bass because it sounded so bad. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was a demo in my parents' basement and we still knew enough to know that it sounded bad. <laughs> he had that bass throughout the whole time we lived at the warehouse and I feel like maybe like Four years after I lived there, he brought it to the warehouse. And I was like, the fuck is this? He's like, 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just like super bummed about it. I gotta say, I feel like I, for as big of an Algernon fan as I I am and a fanboy, I gotta say that that Dogs on Acid record I think is one of the fucking coolest records ever made. And I'm just gonna Whoa. I'm gonna tell you it to your face. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Nick and Nate and Pete too. But man, I listen to that record all the time, and I just like, damn, dude, like listening to you guys jam in the warehouse, like before there were even words over it. I was just like, what the fuck. And not to mention that that band exemplifies for everybody, like that sort of tastefulness that comes with maturing as a musician. Like all of your lead parts in that band are comparatively so simple compared to everything else you did before, but so catchy because of that. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and sing guitar parts and stuff, but it takes <laughs> like half a second wow. to like, yeah, dude, I mean, we would listen to the dogs and acid tape all the time on Super Weeks tours. Evan oh, yeah. was one of the first people, I think, that wanted to hear the demos because we had recorded demos at some point, as you do. And you were like, let me get that. I was like, what? No, no. You asked again. I was like, no, what? No. And you were like, asked again. I was like, okay, fine. I made you <laughs> play them for me in Matt Ebert's car on the way to Joyce Manor recording. That was the first time I heard the Dogs on Acid demos. Was, no way. Yeah. I was like, Joe, you got to play me the Dogs on Acid demos. And Matt's like... Yeah, Joe, play the Dogs on Acid demos. That was then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That feels like a friggin' lifetime ago. Yeah. Remember that time we went to L.A.? and uh, I remember you being like, I love this song, and it didn't even have words. You're like, this is the best song on the record. I remember you saying that. Guess what? Feel good. Guess what? That song has the most listens on Spotify. Evan makes declarations like that all the time when we're working on stuff, and no. it puts so much no, pressure. No, no, no. It puts yeah, so Evan much Menard pressure to produce your records, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my god, he, he, he knows his way to the top of the charts. He said that with like one of the new songs that we've like written for the new Super Weeks thing, and I just like I've been avoiding writing lyrics for it because he's so enthusiastic about the song. <laughs> like, I can't live up to this. I'm yes. raising my hand here yeah, because I do want to say. Go ahead, speak. Yes, Evan. I want to say that that song. I don't know what it's called now. But I remember it was called Super Killers oh, yeah. at that time. And it was the one with your fucking sick guitar lead. The It's great. And I remember <laughs> being like, damn, that song's July. sick. And then I remember Pete wrote some lyrics about going to the beach or something about it. And then all of a sudden, you guys put the album out. And then all of a sudden, it was on all the Spotify playlists. And I was like, damn, that song is a hit. You called it. I, it's, I'm not even saying that I called it. But I was just like, damn, that song's a hit. Like, heard that in the car. I was like, this is fucked up. I'm offended. <laughs> I also got to say, I, one of the most humbling moments in my life was Joyce Manor, you know, obviously had you record Never Hung Over Again. Both them and you asking me to come out. Well, they asked me to engineer it. And I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to engineer this record. <laughs> I was like, we should let Joe engineer this record. But like, I'll come and like hang and help. And I feel like I helped. Back in 2013, I was like, you're listening to these super weak songs here from like 2012, 2013. There, I was in no shape to engineer a Joyce Manor record at that time. You, you've always been very uh, hard on your own abilities, which I, I feel like uh, people that are in your circle would have to disagree with. Yeah, they'll definitely disagree <laughs> with you that I'm hard on my own abilities. Well, hell yeah. I mean, there's there's uh, always like, I'm always like, man, if I could get this band to give me a million dollars, I'm going to have... Evan Bernard come and be my guitar person, and I'm just going to sit there. Evan, Evan Bernard's going to get all the guitar tones, and I'm just going to be like, yes, it is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what if we did this? I'd be like, yeah, do that. Because I feel like at some level when like with producing, it's just like you have all these amazing people around you. You're like, yes, 
keep being amazing. That, that, that is my direction yeah. to you as the producer. Um, your song is amazing. Yeah. Uh, th- those guitar tones are amazing. Keep on keeping on. <laughs> I feel like when we went to do that Joyce Manor record, we got to the studio and the dude, Larry, Larry was like, oh, yeah, that's Rivers Cuomo's personal drum set. And we're like, oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And then you're like, you know, he's like, oh, here are all these things. And you're like, this is amazing. And then it's like, oh, and here's this wall of amps that you'll never be able to afford. And you're like, great, can't wait. Amazing. <laughs> and it's just like, <laughs> I feel like that was at least my first time where I got to work in a studio that wasn't our studio or your studio at that point. It was like the first time where I got to be around a big, big shot LA recording yeah. studio. You know, it's just like. I don't know how you, how did you feel when you get, was that your first time working in like a cool big space like that? Yeah, or? definitely. I felt like I was full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, which I still feel like most of the time, even when I'm in my personal big cool recording studio, it's yeah. like, all I have are my opinions. I can give them to you and you can do what you want with them. But that's all I really have to offer. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I'm here to help you, but who's to say who knows best? Yeah, that's what it is, though, for sure. And, like, to your point, like, when I, like, interned at, like, other bigger studios, that was the biggest thing I saw from, like, really successful producers. Not so much that they had very specific skill or very specific knowledge, but they would assemble the best possible team. Pick great talent. Yeah, and then those people would, especially, like, when I was, like, like I saw, I can't remember the kid's name, Isaac something, but, like, they brought in all session musicians for it. And they brought in all their own gear. Like Davey Farragher from the Elvis Costello's band was the bass player on this record. And he brought 10 basses with him and then like a bunch of bass amps with him. And he, he actually wound up just using his B-15 for almost the entire recording. Great choice. But yeah, exactly. The best, the only choice, the best choice. <laughs> but in the end, it came down to like him being like, okay, this musician is great in these capacities. They should do this, this function on this record. Right. And then at the end, he was, you know, just had some other guy even press and record on the tape machine for him. Like, like you know, like, he wasn't doing anything hands-on. It's just about that team. And that's where that money gets you. It's like the, the time and the personnel to like make a perfect record, which is like more important than gear in the end. It's like having the right people oh, to God, do the right yeah. thing. Yeah. You have to have a good source before anything else can really make it into something great. Yeah. Depending on what it is, you could be like, all right, I got, I got the people that would crush mm-hmm. what you're trying to do right now. Yeah, well, you know, that's why I played on Chris, Chris Rosello's record. You know, I played some bass on that bad yes, boy. Yes, you did. <laughs> That's I swear right. that wasn't that like was a veiled fun. move. That was a great time, man. How much fun was that? We oh just my God. got I, together and hanging out with Lem. I don't remember Lem's last name, the drummer. I don't either, oh. but. <laughs> Dude, he was a Pit, joy. No. Yeah, it starts with a P. Yeah. But yeah, that whole squad of people is just like a great time. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's where like that best result came from too. That's the big thing I'm learning right now too, especially because like we're, we're, we don't have tours. We're not really making records like at the same pace that people typically were before the pandemic. What music comes down to really is like, are you getting together with people that you enjoy doing it with? And are you having a good time doing the thing that you're doing? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, I, it was, it's easy to forget about that. Especially like, I mean, we never cracked through quite the way that like, you know, like Hop Along has, but like, we had some of the mechanisms behind us and it's easy to get lost in those things. Like, you know, how many people are buying tickets to the shows or what are we selling, et cetera. And it's so easy to forget. Like the, the reason that we all get into music is because we like music. I got into music because I like guitar amps. Yeah. We covered that. with Joe's thing. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you get into music, Joe? How, how did you, you know? Get into music? I don't, it's a little blend together between hearing Nirvana, hearing mm-hmm. green day and then seeing 
the basket case video. That is a great video. Were there in the yeah. institution too? There's yeah. something about the colors, and it was the first time I heard the song, and just the way that palm muted distorted guitar comes in, which is something I eat for breakfast now, you know, just like, mm-hmm. but that was the first time I heard it, and mixed with just. They look cool, but mostly just that sound, like just the piercingness of that sort of what I had a friend later tell me their friend's older brother described as punk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And I was like, that's the perfect name for that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so short and snappy and just just like these songs, it's. It's definitely punk. (laughs) (laughs) I can see 11-year-old Joe, that exact sentence Uh, going through your brain. Totally. And so then on, I was like, I want to do that, and it doesn't look that hard. (laughs) Yeah, my dad an acoustic, so I was playing when I come around on a uh, cheap acoustic guitar. and, And ever since then until... Ever since I was 10 until maybe... What are we talking about a year ago now? This last year is the I've been playing in a band or playing loud music with other people in a room all the time since I was 10, except for the last, you know, pandemic times. It's a little irritating. That's okay, I think, because it'll come back and it'll be just as beautiful, if not more beautiful than ever. But I am definitely getting fucking twitchy. God, there really is nothing like a plexi, though. I'll tell you. <laughs> Have you spent time with the Bluesbreaker? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, played, I've played that on one of our records. I used that for all my guitar solos on, um, was it on Bad Year or was oh, it on yeah. Better Heavens? I forgot. That lived yeah, at the warehouse for yeah. a period of time yeah. when you first got it. I love that amp. And so. one of you guys turned me on to the speaker that I wasn't using. I was always micing the green back. And then you just being you, just being loud about it. I was like, don't be an idiot. Use the Celestian speaker. I was like, ah, I don't know, man. And then well, I, did. Was the I was like, is, oh. I have. Do I also have greenbacks? Wait, what do I have? No, in my... you have vintage thirties. Yeah, yeah. You had a vintage thirty and a. No, and... it was a green. It was a greenback and scumback. No, scumbacks that, in the Vox. That was in the Vox. Mm. The GH12 is that the name of a selection? G12 H100. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I yes. was probably telling you to mic the greenback. No, because I that one was prettier and more expensive. So of course that was the one I was using. And then you were like, the other one rips. That was what I was using for my solos on on our record. I definitely still do not know the name of that speaker. I like Evan just said it, and that did not stick with me. And if you look at your but screen I, now, a picture <laughs> of Joe's speakers will go across. But yeah, that shit rips. That's like it's perfect tone. Because that's the thing is like you know the expensive tone. That's what everything sounds like. You want to get that like, like the more niche element. To well, it. it was Eric Clapton's tone and his. Baby, he pushed a baby out of a window. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I will say that. That's how you get the tone. (laughs) I will say that Eric Clapton is the reason I started playing music, so it all comes full circle. Stevie Ray Vaughan came on the other day, and I was like, holy shit, I remember loving this. Because mm-hmm. I was like just like a punk rock Ramones kid. And then I heard like Steve Ray Vaughn, I was like, or Jimi Hendrix or something in that vein. I was like, oh, I don't know how to play the guitar. <laughs> well, that dude fucking put piano wire on his guitars and fucking plugged it in through the biggest speaker he could. And it was his tone is immense. I don't even like blues rock, but that dude's tone was fucking yeah. outrageous. It's a thin, it's a thin line. I've recently been getting very into Stratocasters. I'm not going to talk you out of that. Keep going. I'm still not convinced. Talk me into it. Oh, my <laughs> what God. What do you love? Well, first off, as much as I don't like blues rock, Stevie Ray Vaughan's tone is out of fucking control. Mm-hmm. Like, completely out of control. That's, yeah. I mean, I know it's in his fingers. Believe me. I know. I'm showing him my fingers. 
but like I'm wiggling them, loading it on your screen. I'm thinking about yeah. it. If you look you at know? your screen, you'll see a picture of my fingers. Yeah, you'll feel Joe's <laughs> fingers coming through your headphones into your ears right now. Stereo fingers. I think about all these. You know, the one thing I've learned from Andrew Wilson. In my, I've learned many things from Andrew Wilson. I'm, I'm gesturing towards him right now. If you look at your screen now, you'll see me gesturing towards him. We're all burning this joke out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think we used it at all in the cat episode. That's so. that's fair. This, yeah. this is Andrew's third grade graduation picture. The one thing Andrew, like back when I first started recording, Joe, I don't know if you had a similar experience, but back when I first started recording, I was like, yeah, everyone did all that stuff with all the fancy gear. Well, I'll just use whatever the fuck I want to record with it's gonna be sick i'm gonna get this mic i don't even know what it says i found it in a pile of dirt i'm gonna mic a guitar with it under a bucket it's gonna sound amazing nobody's ever done that and of course somebody's done that and it probably didn't sound amazing and that's why nobody does it but like my brain didn't put that together so i was like yeah i'm gonna do all this stuff and andrew's like no what you want to do is get all of the microphones and all of the gear to start with that people use and that you hear in all the classic recordings so you understand the starting point and like that was my big eye-opening moment in recording when andrew was like just get all the things that people use so you understand how they're used and then you can go off on your own and find all the other sounds but you got to have a base level of understanding first and that's the thing is i think with guitars i never once gave a shit about a Stratocaster and now I'm like oh fucking everyone plays a Stratocaster ever whether it's Stephen Malkmus or Jimi Hendrix or fucking David Gilmore like they're just like way more cooperative with Overdrive this Eric Clapton mm-hmm. like it, it just like I mean I don't like Eric Clapton most of, I, I would say I don't I don't like anything Eric Clapton played on a Stratocaster I think I only like any music he made when he was using an SG but what did he play on that Beatles song Dave Matthews Band there we the go. The list goes on. We cracked it. <laughs> Does Dave use this? He plays an acoustic. Uh, no, he plays kidding. an acoustic. Diamond Lashray. Dave. <laughs> Diamond Dave Matthews. That is a version of Van Halen I would love to see. <laughs> I'm on a highway to hell. Katie has a sketched drawing of That's Dave Matthews hanging in her room. Did she composed? No, somebody bought her a drawing <laughs> of Dave Matthews. Uh, the thing about Katie, I have a Dave Matthews tattoo. Wait, show me. Let's see it. Put it up now, to the mic. It's kind of one of those things. It's like put the mic on it. I really don't want our viewers at home really want to see this. Guys, act like act like you're seeing the Dave. Oh my god! I can't believe it. It's so big. It's just a bunch of ants marching out of Joe's butt crack. <laughs> my god, the ten-hour ants marching video, where the intro repeats for ten hours, is so fucking amazing. Tweet. Cut that into this. How do podcasts work? (laughs) (laughs) We can't afford the licensing for that shit. (laughs) Well, isn't it just like a 10 second loop? Yeah, we we would have technically maybe we would have to talk over it or review it while it was playing in order to be able to legally use it. Uh, I mean, you could just put it behind all of this shit we're saying. Just right have now. it from the start of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> she wakes up in the morning. Let's get that done. This movie yeah. will be a huge payoff for anyone who's listened to the one hour of Ants Marching it's played so far. <laughs> I'm wondering why it's in the background. <laughs> you know, back when I was punk, I was like, man, fuck Dave Matthews. But now I will listen to 10 hours of the intro of Ants Marching. I played in a wedding band for two years. That song was a relief. Like any night that I didn't have to play the chicken dance and I got to play a Dave Matthews song, that was a good fucking night. Yo, we play music because we want to have fun. And like I listen to that song and I'm like every single person playing on this song right now is having the fucking time of their life. Definitely. I've seen them live multiple times. How many? They're having a good... Don't. Oh, (laughs) yeah. 
I went to college in the middle of PA. That was know. also one of the. How like, happy are you? Your Mikey? moment with right? Green Day. That was the only one. That song yeah. is one of my moments for sure. When I was younger, I heard that song and I was just like, I don't even know if there's a guitar in this song, but I want to play music. The angels are singing to me. Take these chances. I'll say your cocktail of what like got you into music is exactly the same cocktail that was like literally is like a Nirvana cover band at, or like Battle of the Bands. Yeah, Nirvana was mine Dookie too, big time. Just I was just like, wow. I didn't I didn't love Green Day back then, but it was honestly Nirvana and Rolling Stones. Like, I heard Keith Richards play lead guitar, and I was like, I could fucking do that. I could I could definitely wow. play guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's I wish ever, I had your confidence as a Oh it, it ebbed away very quickly. But I, I learned jumping Jack Flash and I was like, this is it. I've I've got rock and roll figured out. I'm fuck I'm here. I've arrived. Yo, can I tell you my friend Noah, Noah's twenty one, texted me the other day and he said, I'm listening to Dookie for the first time. How is there a record in this world that is this good? Wow. And I was like what I would give to be able to go back in time and hear that record for the first time. Cause again, that's like my dad also, my dad bought that record and I just had it and I like heard it and I was like, this is the rest of my life now. Sorry, parents, you and you did this to me. This is, this is my dad bought the blue album and he bought that. And I was like, done. That's it. That's a, that's a cool dad. My that dad only cool listened dad. to George Thorogood. Joe, what's 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 your dad's go-to? What's my what? dad was a Beatles guy. That was that was very easy common ground. We would jam on Beatles tunes. Yeah, That's I was gonna sick. say that that Beatles set that you guys played at the Ox. Is Me and like, my dad? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> you were there for that? The Reinhardt family band. <laughs> Algernon, obviously. That was some of the most fun I've ever had playing music. Not as much the show because the power kept cutting out, but was rehearsing that because we were in the middle of doing the writing the second album which was not easy but just like having that break of being able to just like play music with your friends playing music by the greatest band ever i'm glad we're the clearing that beatles. up yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> too, too many beatles haters out there now it's i bullshit. know it's bullshit uh, yeah. if you don't know now you know it was so much fun rehearsing that and just jamming on it like it was just like it made writing the second half of the album probably so much easier but I probably just came out better after having like learned all, like we all like learned all the minutiae of all these Beatles songs. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, let's finish writing our album. I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't need to do all this dumbass bullshitty bullshit when I'm playing the guitar and just write something good. Like <laughs> let's substitute all this bullshit for just something good. I think that record's also great. The white album. <laughs> I'm always jealous of people that sometimes I get texts every now and then. Cause people know I'm a huge Beatles fan and they'll be like, yo, I just listened to revolver. How wait? How old are these people that they've just like like, like pavement fans, like friends of mine, so like people the, we all? Are you talking about respect. Mike Bell? Uh, no, not know, necessarily. But uh, <laughs> I think that must be the thing. Then is that these people have only heard like early like Beatles hits that are like you know they're still great songs, but they're nothing like pardon the pun revolutionary. But then like the later stuff like Revolver, especially, and then like from there on out, it just became like such like a like a like a redefining of rock and roll and yeah, what can well, be done. Everything is Beatles. It all goes back to the experimentation that they did. Like we wouldn't have fucking kick drum mics inside of a kick drum if it wasn't for Jeff Emmerich. We probably wouldn't even have kick drums. It would have died. They would have. It would have died yeah. with the big band. Well, I want to know, Joe. What are you? What have you been up to? You know, these last few years. What are you? I know you've been playing guitar and hop along, touring with our good friend Steve Paponi mm-hmm. as your sound guy. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it feels like a million years ago now, but we all worked our butt off to write and 
record the last record and it's always this in the moment it seems like so intense and like so like crushing and everything's so important like every note is like micromanaged because francis will change like a, a vocal melody which will make me have to change the guitar that is now stepping on the old vocal on the new vocal melody that's fine and that's how we work but like it's always the, the weight of it feels so intense and it's so exciting and the highs are really really high like if you have a good day in the studio you're feeling like a million bucks like you walk in the next mm-hmm. morning you press play you're like that is so fucking awesome i was like i cannot believe we came up with that i'm so glad we made the bridge the chorus or we made you know the i only repeated the first half of the guitar part over and over again instead of playing all that bullshit after it and then the lows are just so crushing like when you're just trying to come up with this thing and you're like why is this not good and the answer is there's no guitar part there it's just better with no guitar part there or just whatever you know if you even get to the answer and i miss that sort of roller coaster of creative emotions and having that sort of stuff to work on because i think our collective thought with the band is now it hasn't felt like an important thing to do in all of our lives or in the world but as of recent events maybe that's going to change and i know we're all excited to make another Opalong record since then i have actually not touched the guitar in a while which is a bummer to say i'll, I'll pick it up like when i'm producing bands and like you know sort of dilly dally melody or hum something or be like what if something with this sort of effect but like that's pretty much the extent but i would be looking forward to having a reason to uh you know have it tied to me again in the robe, dragging around wherever I go. You know what I mean? Because like when it's time to go, it's time to go. But if like there's nobody like behind me being like, not even somebody behind me, but just someone to let down or someone to get excited by what I'm doing, like I'm just not gonna do it by myself. Yeah, I get that for sure. What I've been doing to try to like get over that hump myself is just like learn new techniques. Like, like during the, cause it's just you know nothing else to really to do. And we jammed for a bit at the beginning of the quarantine, but we wrote some new stuff. I guess you already know all the techniques, though, is the problem. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> you're, uh, I mean, but like finger picking and tapping wise, like, you know a ton of shit. Like, you've turned that whole Eddie Van Halen, may you rest in peace, like that whole school of technique that he developed into something like more like pretty and kind of like playful with it. But just like the reigniting that kind of education part of music, too, has been a huge thing for me because like i realized recently i haven't learned something new on my instrument in years like i learned how to sweep pick last year but that's nobody wants me to do it though congrats though like i'm also very good at slap bass and nobody's ever asked me to do that (laughs) okay real quick he put a sweep picking part in one of our new songs it happens Mm -hmm. twice in the song no it's actually it's only once it's only once in the new song i i decided to be tasteful following that joe reinhardt methodology right there and i was like you know what i don't need to sweep pick twice in this song I'll sweep pick one time. And I will also say that many of the anime theme songs I've been watching usually start with slap bass. Oh, well, I fucking arrived. I've been in the wrong... Forget this punk (laughs) shit. Get me over to the anime theme songs. When you're you're ready to take the Super Weeks down that route, I am Let's start today. I'm ready. Let's do it. Drop the mic. Walk out. Look. (laughs) Walk back in with a bass and just start slapping. That's the end of the podcast. Get John Bacon in the band. Oh, yeah, baby. If somebody gave me some sort of ultimatum and said, the only kind of music you are allowed to write for the rest of your life is the Lucky Star theme song, I would say, bring it on. Cool, let's do that. I don't know what that is, but let's do it. I if there's slap bass and yeah, sweet I guess I don't have a choice yeah. if that was the A or the B. I was yeah. like, cool, I'm in. Fuck yeah. It has a great, ridiculous slap bass. 
I, I got distracted though. I was, what my point was going to be, I, I was talking to Frances last week and she was talking about also about like working in the studio and how this feels like the best record that she's ever done. And she really feels like you guys have like arrived as artists and you're like very much in control of, of Wait, your did vision. She, do you get, did she write a record without me? No, no, the same record you're just talking <laughs> <She's> about. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like last week, she's talking about this new record. We're, no, talking, no, no. we're talking about Bark Your Head Off, <laughs> okay. Dog, yeah. correct? Yeah. And yeah. she was saying like, there were moments in the studio where she felt excited to work with you because you would come in with a new guitar part for a song that she had already done vocals for. And she was like, wow, the guitar is so amazing now. Like I need to write better vocals to like, you know, match this guitar part that I'm hearing. And that's a very cool kind of dynamic that you guys have where you all are masters of your instrument that you're bringing and you encourage each other just by being able to push each other with your mastery of your instrument. That's like a really beautiful thing that a lot, especially in punk as we're, you know, been talking so much. That's not really the goal most of the time, but you guys have created this fusion of elements that is very much each of your own voices. That's my favorite thing, like listening to Hop Along. Yes. Thanks. I yeah. am a hundred, I was just thinking that that Bark Your Head Off dog, I'm like, I can hear every individual playing harmoniously together. Like Mark's, all of Mark's influences shine through this record. All of your influences, like there are times where I hear a guitar part, I'm like, there's old Joe. That's Joe on the guitars, no doubt about it. <laughs> and there's, you know, a lot of the songwriting, like you can hear from Francis, you can hear like everything from like, you know, I guess we've known her. I've known her since probably 2012, 2010, 2012. When did you go to military jail, Mikey? It's like 2010, it's, right? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's yeah. been a decade that we've all known each other. Right, and it's like, I can hear like Francis from sophomore year or I mean freshman, freshman year, yeah. Francis from freshman year, like up through all of her more recent endeavors, like her solo album. Like I can hear every era of Francis in that record. And like you guys doing such things as like using auto tune, using vocoders, using like, you know, more technological stuff on this record rather than the, you know, just straight up rock band kind of sound. I'm just like, and like, you know, using strings, like the record you know, runs the whole gamut. And I'm just like, fuck dude, I can hear like, you guys went balls to the wall on that whole thing, man. It's just like, you can hear everyone's personality in every part that they play. Not to mention the past two records, you've been doing more string arrangements and stuff on them too. It's just like a, like a level, like a Beatles level of polish that's coming to Woo! it. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they call you a, Joe George Martin. Reinhardt. They don't say that. Joe, George, George <laughs> Martin. They say <laughs> Well, it's interesting you say hearing everybody's specific personalities on their parts, but actually I think there's a ton of like, you know, Mark will be sitting down next to me while we're listening to the playback of my part. He'll give me input and like, we'll use it and it will make it a thousand times better. You know what I mean? There's like very little, like we all just want it to be as good as it can be. So the, 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 the amount of like, well, this is the thing I wrote and it's fucking sick. So we're keeping it is zero. So anytime anyone's like, well, what if this last note was like this? And even if I want to smash my fucking face into the desk, I don't. And we try it and I'm like, all right, let's try it. And it's either better or worse. And, you know, I could say the same thing to anyone else in the band's parts and they'll always at least try it. Even if there's like, uh, eye roll that you feel like their eyes are going to like roll around their head then out of their ears everybody gives everything a shot and you know i think that's a thing with maybe it's that we're friends or maybe that makes it harder but just like bands they just want the best for their music i don't want to say it always comes with age but i record a lot of younger bands where they're like kind of pecking at each other about the parts 
and like it's just it should well why aren't we just using the best pipe best sound wins like yeah. why aren't we just doing what's best for the song like this is crazy to me that you guys are having this conversation yeah i mean yeah. your job as a producer is to actually say that that's right me, totally you know, but, but too, also like usually. diplomatically too where you like you're already standing on the landmine the last thing you want is for it to explode and like <laughs> yeah. young bands are yeah that's it's amazing how they're just tearing each other down constantly and it's like what do you think your end game is here like it's you're not, not always the case but like sometimes it's like let's just talk what does the song want like yeah yeah you're right. right that's a great guitar part put it in your pocket and save it for a different song where it fits <laughs> Yeah, uh, very Corey Bernard, <laughs> very approach, Corey. but the opposite, yeah. which I guess I appreciate that yeah. now. Yeah, that, hearing I, you say that, it, when he would move. just be like, you know, and I'm not going to play this guitar part in this song because it's too good for this song. <laughs> just like, <laughs> damn, whatever okay. gets it done, yeah, whatever justifies it for but sure. But like, if that's not what's for the song, you know, whether or not that's how Corey approached it, that's definitely the right answer. Yeah, but yeah, that's like a testament to Hoplon. Like that's like the a unique sort of synergistic thing that you guys have, where everyone gets to edit one another. It's because everyone can like see each other objectively and be like, "I see what you're doing. This is your thing. Let's just like bump it up a little bit," and it becomes like greater than the sum of its parts. Like that whole uh, cliche there. I don't know. It's just you're a fucking powerhouse band. It's super cool. I love like Thank looking you. forward to the new records that come out. Me too. Yeah. Actually. I- <laughs> <laughs> Every time I was like, I'm looking forward to the new record. It's like, oh my God, so am I. What's going to happen? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I mean, I also want to touch on, I love Francis's solo record, and I love that you made a drum cameo on it. Oh, no. The second, <laughs> the second I heard that, I was like, Joe is fucking playing drums right now. This is awesome. And then like I read in an interview somewhere. It was supposed to be a placekeeper. Yeah, exactly. I read in an interview that it was like, that was supposed to be a placeholder, but we liked it so much. And I was like, no, nah, it's fucking sick. That's awesome. I just like. Not to mention all the keys on that record too. Oh, I was yeah. talking to Frank about that. And I was like, I didn't know you played keys like that. And she's like, well, Joe also played a bunch of keys on it too. And it was like a dynamic that like, or, or like a facet of you guys that I hadn't really heard like that up front before. And it's great because it's like, it's not keyboardists, keyboard parts, but they're so central to each song that they're in. It's like really distinct. Yeah. It's like you ever see your parents type on a keyboard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see your parents send hunt, an email? Peck, yeah, That's like uh, Francis and I, like I'm like over her shoulders, we're playing the roads. <laughs> I was wondering how that was done because I was like, this doesn't seem like like 10 fingers working in tandem it's like this this chunky cool thing that's i think there's only one song that's the 10 fingers overdub thing but yeah (laughs) it was definitely utilized leave no rock and uh it's super cool it's like live midi in a way yeah Yeah. thank you That's what we're going for. I'm glad that was a compliment. No, we, well, we set up all these keyboards and we're like, all right, let's do something we never did before. She was like, how do I turn this one on? And I was like, I don't know. Let me, let me double check. I'm actually also not totally sure because we don't normally use these things. We're like, all right, let's, let's go into this box and try to get our way out of this this box. That's cool. I, that's a big thing too, like having the right sort of restrictions for a record, being able to like have parameters for it. This is the limitation that we have to work with. Let's figure it out. And it challenges you in a different way because like having it kind of open-ended sometimes, I know like for us, like I've remixed some of our records like eight times through sometimes or maybe even more. I don't remember how oh, much. Yeah. And it's not, it's not necessarily getting a better product in the end. It's just like torture because there's no end, you know, there's no set end to it. But being it's never able, an end. Yeah, exactly. But being able to have like that kind of like appropriate limitation for it, be like, all right, 
we don't quite know how to do this. Like we're not going to be doing like massive, like arpeggios and shit. Like we just have to pick the five notes that we want to play over the section and they have to be the best five notes we can possibly play over it. And it makes it way catchier and way more enjoyable to listen to. No, I mean, those limitations are great, especially if they're time limitations, because on her record, there actually was a time limitation where in hop along, it's like, well, if we want to spend 20 years making this three notes, we're going to just fucking do it. But with hers, there was a very set amount of studio time we had and, it was just like, well, okay. Wow, I, I feel that. like, okay. Uh, like, is there a better way to do this? Those questions that we would normally ask ourselves making a hop-along record were just out the fucking window because we didn't have the luxury of exploring that avenue. Yeah, I was going to say, ever since, you know, you guys recorded Get This Owned at Headroom, like, it seemed like you guys had unlimited time and, like, living at the warehouse while you guys were doing that record. I would just, like, watch Francis come in and she'd be like, yep, we're going to record acoustic guitar in the garage today. And then Mark be like, I think we're going to redo the drums to this song, but in Pete's room to the tape machine. And just like shit like that. And it's just like, like I've never witnessed Hop Along under constraint. Well, I, I guess I wasn't, you know, obviously wasn't there for the other two records. Like I wasn't around. I wasn't a fly on the wall. But knowing you and knowing Francis and the way that you all work, like I can't imagine what it was like to be like, well, we just have to commit to this, I guess, because we can't redo this the 700th time. Yeah, I remember you guys having sleeping bags set or, or the, uh, the convertible couch set up in the in the control room at the you original headroom where she was just like staying over to like work on the record oh yeah and it's like you were that embedded in the process of making that record like no one's going home like we're just gonna fucking this record is like 24 hours a day mm-hmm. taking her time with it that being said there's a little rumor going around have you recorded every Algernon record twice? I don't think so. Nick mentioned we recorded some kind of Cadwalder twice. Right. I, Maybe I, the drums, he said. I'm not going to say no, but I don't think the answer is yes. But we definitely recorded Paraflies twice. There's a couple of factors here. Uh, we got a keg of 90 minute. Wow, love this one. I can't wait to see where this one's going. We got a keg of 90 minute, and I'm going to... Partly blame that. We also did the whole thing to a click to tape, and there was a keg of 90 minutes. So anything that was supposed to have any energy did not. Yeah, that dude, I I heard some of the earlier recordings of that record, and it is very slow. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention, there's like a couple like full on tempo changes on that record too, and during certain songs, right? Yeah, so I don't know how that would work comfortably. I just remember. It did it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember hearing preservatives like. First recording that? of preservative, it's like, and I'm just like, like Jack Johnson, what the like a Jimmy Buffett song. Yeah, I was like, what? You're like, yeah, we had to redo this. Yeah, it was 90 minute. I blame. I don't know, but it was. I, I do remember it was fun doing it to tape, but also not fun because I did it by myself. So I would have to use my toe. I'd have to do a barefoot and use my toes to hit plan recording the tape machine and then do it. <laughs> and because there was no one in the room to tell me if it was good, I recorded every guitar part twice. So the tracks 14 and 15 would be one take and tracks... 16 and 17 would be the other take. And then there would be the clean guitars and I'd do them all again. And then it would be the doubles and I'd do all those again. Holy and I shit. did everyone twice so that when I dumped it, I would have options as far as if they were better or not. That was a pain in the ass, but it made me better. So when we did it to digital, when we eventually just like did it without a click, just like one, two, three, four, let's rock. My guitar playing was better because I had already had to nail it to tape and feel good about it. It's funny how much of a wrench the click through in it wow. or the 90 minute. Okay. I didn't realize that you did no click for the second. Yeah. 
Great vibe. Makes sense. I also remember the EP. When you were working on fun, I remember you going into the studio and you're recording those three songs. And I recorded trombone on that one song that yes, you had you to auto tune the living beautiful. hell out of. I didn't have auto tune. You nailed it. You auto tuned the hell out of I it. Didn't, <laughs> I didn't have auto tune. Um, but. I remember going in there and like, you know, one day I went in there. I'm like, what are you working on today? You're like, oh, I'm going to work on some Algernon stuff. And I remember 10 minutes later, you left the studio and came into the kitchen when I was cooking breakfast. And I was like, what, what's up? And you're like, yeah, I tried to do a take three times. Didn't work. I'm done. Done for the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, rough day at the office. I'm like, huh? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. If I can't get it within the first three takes, it's just not going to happen. And I'm just like, is that how you record all your records? <laughs> so funny to think like back on Dangerous Ponies recordings. I remember one time we were recording this, the guitar solo to Bumbershoot and you did probably, I'm going to say 35 takes. Checks out. Evan, yeah. And then you were so frustrated, you punched your fist fully through a gobo. <laughs> That's a cool thing. All never the way heard. through. At Drexel? <laughs> yeah. And you walked out and you're like, I'm fucking done. <laughs> whatever's, whatever's there is it. <laughs> First one was amazing. Yeah, I'm sure it was the first yeah. day. I'm sure it was fine. Yeah. The yeah. older I get, the more I'm just like, that was fine. Yeah. I don't have to redo that. It's fine. Totally. Nobody's going to know. Oh, there's a little weird string scrapey noise there. Nobody's going to fucking no. notice. Who fucking cares? There's a bunch That's... of... There's like 75 other guitar tracks happening right now. Nobody's going to notice the one scrape on this one. Well, that's the thing with like, same with like, you know, engineering. It's like, I feel like when I was younger, I was like, this has to be amazing. We'd spend like 20 years on just the snare sound or the mm -hmm. kick drum sound or the rack drum sound. And like, if it's not bad, I'm like, cool, next. Like, right. it's there's so many other factors. I'm like, that's ballpark. Let's move on. If when we hear the whole song together, if it's tripped me up a little, we'll revisit it. Totally. The chances of it like bothering me are not that huge. Well, not to mention too, uh, this is like a big thing I think about recently now that we have like a huge arsenal of drums to choose from. Like sometimes right. you just have a bad fucking drum and you're just like, well, I got to do more EQ to it. I have to do more like, compression to it. Like, I have to sort this source out because this is what I have. It's just a bad source sometimes. And we've like tortured ourselves for so long or over it. Or the source is not the drum's fault. And you're just yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you walk over there and hit it. And like, not a drummer. And I just hit it. And I'm like, kind of sounds amazing. Well, we'll spend the time on the vocals. You're like, I got the Paramore sample. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately, you know, we're blessed with Michael. Hit the snare drum like a, a fucking beast, Tajin. That's what I'm talking about. Perfectly so, consistently, too, yeah. We just mixed a live set that we did, and I was like, this is literally perfect. Mm -hmm. Like, every fucking snare hit Mikey did is Ooh. just dead nuts. Per there was like... There was literally in that live set that we did of the six songs that we re-recorded eight million times because I fucked up probably all of them eight million times. Mikey was perfect, and there was like one kick drum hit I had to move very slightly because it was very slightly off from being perfect. And it wasn't even bad. It was just noticeable because of how perfect the rest of the drum take was. And like, that's fucking crazy to that me. It doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen. And I'm just like, this guy is Not a true. literal actual machine. Yeah. No, it's seriously totally true. You showed up to a recording session. The drums were set up. We didn't even have to EQ them or we just put microphones in front of them and we were like, perfect. And then I went to go mix it and I was like, perfect. <laughs> I was like, I don't even understand. That's nice. I even played drums in like six months. But yeah, I we felt, hadn't played I as a band like in a year. What was the session? Super Weeks Teenage Blob. 
Yeah, okay. our new video like, game. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did like a live version where Mikey played this. We played the songs to a click and performed them live. And like, well, that's the thing is, we initially were only going to use it for promo because we were playing like the Amaze Festival. It's like a big like uh, indie video game festival. It's uh-huh. based in Berlin. We were just going to use it for that. But the recording was so good because we played to a click. Mikey did it fucking perfectly. So we actually just are like, shit, we'll just include it in the video game. So now it's like an added thing for people who bought the game. They get a free download of the live version and they can play the game again with the live version of the songs because Whoa. it was that fucking perfect. Dude. Yeah. It, it, Mikey, it literally came down to how well you performed. Yeah. It. It was like you did such a good perfect. job on that that we yeah, were like, I like I listening that. to that. I was like, this might even be better than this record that we spent literally four years making. <laughs> yeah. like, this recording that we spent one evening making is just like... I remember hearing that recording forever ago. Mike Bell mm-hmm. showed it to me. I was like, this is next level fucking super weeks. Well, thank you. I can't and wait. I was like, what, why are we still sitting on this here? The video game, it took three years for the game to get developed. So, you know, the cogs of uh, a three-person video game team moves pretty slowly. Did you send Joe demos of the new stuff already? I only send Joe things where I'm like, help me, Joe. Is this... <laughs> recording sounding like a recording well that's what's pretty great about like our whole circle of friends we all run semi-competing recording studios but we all also send each other things being like hey why isn't this clicking or what's wrong with my mix or this is an important record for me like can you guys give me some fucking pointers here I and feel, I feel like, like that's like a very Philly thing. I mean, yeah, especially sure. with our friends and like, I love that. Just, it's just super cool. Like, I mean, I got to say, God bless Ryan Schwab because yeah, fucking every three yeah. days I'm like, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, please. Is this 700th pass of this mix? Okay. <laughs> and I'm sure he's just like, dude, it's fine. Yeah. And he listened to the last one. He's like, it sounds like the last one was like a little more reverb. I don't know, man. You're freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's always just like, you added more 2K to this one. Don't do that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, I did. He's, yeah, he said to me before, I think it was for No Sorrow when I mixed that, two passes ago was perfect. I still have it. I'm just, I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to use that. Yeah. God, dude. That's awesome. I think every episode we've just been like, Ryan's the best. There's Ryan no- is the best. Maniac yes. Mansion. Are you getting him in here? Love it. He One hasn't day. played on any of our songs, but we'll oh, find we an excuse. Well, I mean, yeah. shit, he's like mastered everything. Yeah, he literally yeah. has been on every single Super Week song that's ever been released. He's put his sonic stamp on that's it. That's true. Yeah, and actually, I'd say at least 80% of the records that we've done at our studio, too, have been Ryan. I also remember going to Ryan's house with Crazy Kyle and Ryan's mastering the record and Kyle's pulling up sessions on his laptop and fucking mixing the record in Ryan's room on headphones. That was the next week. What was it called? Because he's freaking out. Tenderheart. Tenderheart. That was Tenderheart, right? Well, guys, what is mastering? What (laughs) is mastering, you say? What is mastering? It's when you sprinkle magic dust on the song, Joe. Don't you know anything? It's when you take two <laughs> SM57s, put them in a room, and let them figure it out. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Joe, what is mastering? I, I think Mikey nailed it. Is that what you want to go on right <laughs> No, I'll go on record as saying that. Andrew, what is mastering? The final opportunity to get it right, making sure that it sounds the same everywhere in a car on computer speakers, earbuds, and iPhone. I agree. I feel like a lot of musicians will come, you know, record at 
our studios and be like spend months years even tons and tons of money and then the record is done the mix is done and they're like do we even have to get this mastered and i'm like what are you even saying and they're like (laughs) what is mastering and i'm like it's the way to make your mix translate on all formats and not to mention too to make sure the album itself is balanced and communicates from one song to the next the the way it's intended to that's like one of the biggest takeaways from it for me just with the, the few small jobs that i've done like i did a yankee bluff record where they did all of their stuff at home so like from song to song did like you master wh- that whole record yeah like wildly different from song to song and just like, like finding a way to like kind of what's that like overall volume levels from a song volume levels song. but also like certain like frequency spikes that would happen because they recorded in different areas so there was right. like like cumulative like high mids like shit that was crazy on certain songs and then just like you know just making it like not have a listener turn their volume up and down as they listen to a record or like adjust their eq ever so they're not thinking about the record as individual songs and they get to just experience it as one whole thing. Not to mention if they're listening to it like on Spotify and they're listening to some other shit and then like this other record comes on and then it just sounds totally fucked up and totally different from like the world of music at large. Mm-hmm. Just to have a consistent experience against all the music that exists out there too. I can't tell if this was a dream I had or something I read, but sometimes I describe it as people to people as it's putting the right frame around your picture. Yeah, I, like I would that. agree. I like that. Yeah. Like a very complimentary, like this is going to make this pop. Like it it's great it. the way it is, but like with this frame, you could put it anywhere. I agree. I'm just going to put this on record as an engineer. Mastering is incredibly important. Don't skimp out on it. Moreover, just go to Ryan for it. I might be biased, (laughs) but I truly think that Ryan is incredible and he will be there with you the whole process. I mean, at least for me, every time I'm like, Ryan, here's the 450 second mix of this one song. Do you like this better than the other snare drum? And he's just like, I don't know. I thought the third one was great. Just like with Chris's <laughs> that many mixes, dude. dude. I with the no thank you records, I'm always just like, well, that's your own record. I that, also that's send, fair. I, also, I made him mix and master my band's last record, so that <laughs> I was like, all right, I gotta have this guy in charge of this. But yeah, yeah exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. So those mixes I, were insane. I am yeah. yeah, no, he knocked it out of the park. You know, and he was the, he was the second mixer on the record. Actually, I would trust that man with anything musical for the rest of my life. I can't wait to get him in here because I just want to talk to him about his brain. I kind of want to talk to him about Maniac Mansion. When I brought that up the other time, that's Joe, do you know that game? It was like a LucasArts yeah, game? Yeah, totally. Thank you. I just want to know what Ryan's connection to that game is. Like, well, up. does he still call it Maniac Mansion? Does he still I call it? I don't think so. I don't think I mean, he calls okay. it that. He calls it Dig Dug now. <laughs> <laughs> Dig Dug Dude Records. Yeah, the, the Jonas Brothers were listening to this and they're like, we got to get that guy to master our thing. And they Googled Dig Dug Dude Records and nothing came up and he lost that artist. It's just a picture of fucking Joe drunk eating pizza. Uh, you know, the scad part is I was trying to think of what are the kids listening to these days? And uh, I just said the Jonas Brothers. No, they're back, dude. The Jonas <laughs> okay, Brothers are back. Right. The kids these days listen to BTS and nothing yeah. else. Built the Spell? BTS is a K-pop band. They're pretty sick. And also Built the Spell. Come on. They'll just build the second Beatles as they're known around certain circles. What circles would those be, Joe? They're very small circles. <laughs> yeah. It's just me and Jess around my house listening to Mad Built to Spill, but you know, it's dope. I feel like I, for so long, never had to put a Built to Spill record on to listen to because I was surrounded by it so much mm-hmm. in my life 
I feel like Modest Mouse is that band for me that everyone else just always listened to. So I was like, I never need to fucking put this on because it's just like around me all the time. And I like I, it. I don't like good. Modest Mouse. That's like seems like a hard stance because there's a lot of things. There's like this part and there's that part. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a big. I never array look. I never put things. them on or look forward to listening to them. Is okay. What I say. Like I don't hate them. It. I just I'm not super into. It. Well, I even I interned at Sweet Tea Studios where they recorded We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank and yes. Good yes. Good News for People Will Have Bad News. Was that that place along the river in New York? No, it's in Oxford, Mississippi. Oh, that's way different. A million miles from different anywhere. place, actually. I, it really should have made it more exciting for me, but I just never loved Miles Mouse, so it was a, a bummer of a time. The Hives recorded there. Oh, and that was more exciting. No, it was just another thing. I'm saying. I hated that too. <laughs> well, the Hives weren't. The Hives were long gone. Okay. Rogue Wave. Rogue Wave was there while I was there. Oh, they're there. cool. They're cool. They're really nice. I like them a lot. And that's how I met Kyle Johnson. Uh, Kyle Slick Johnson. Uh, okay. He was engineering the record. He did that, um, the Waves record, right? Yeah. And he also did Simple Seek Guitars debut record. He did a bunch of great shit. He's yeah. a great engineer. Charlie Bliss. That is the band. That record sounds That great. record is stunning. He also did the Cold Fronts record that Peter and I played on. And that Where was Where is that? I think it came out eventually, but they re-recorded half of it with like another somebody or something. I know I I had to sign a release for them to use my image because I was on and I think Peter had to sign one too. Because you look cooler than the other bass player, but they used I was the playing other guitar in that band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Peter Peter was the bass player. Okay. I didn't look cooler than Peter, unfortunately, but I I, I guess I look cooler than, than Will Lindsay, I think, played guitar after me. Do you know that guy? I do. He's a Philly guy. I'd say you're tired as far as cool looking is concerned. He's way cooler. We don't need to get into that. He's like, this he's, is an audio he's thing. He's six feet tall and he's cool Are we posting these images? Or can we like poll the crowd who's cooler looking? Oh, you know what? Once we make a super <laughs> weak, super weekly, super cast Twitter. Jesus. We'll have, yeah, I know we suck. Swiss whisk for short, but I had to sign a release. So they must have put it out there, I guess. Craig told me a whole story about how he climbed on Seymour Stein's desk and yelled for him to release his record until he agreed to release his record. I don't know if it's true or not. But we met Seymour Stein that one time. That was cool. That's a good story regardless. Climbing on the desk is pretty good. That's good. That's Un- some good stuff. Unbelievable yeah. Bell and Sebastian song. Yeah, that's also true. And also Seymour Stein is the only narcoleptic, confirmed narcoleptic that I've met in my life. He fell asleep for half of our audition for him. He was unconscious for most of it. I heard he's not, not a narcoleptic. Oh, <laughs> that's fine. I got we got kicked out of that band like immediately after they got signed. So <laughs> either way, it's that's cool right. It's happened to me. What too. was yeah. it like? Audi- have you auditioned for a big wig? What's it like auditioning for a big wig? It's the same as anything else when it's not your music. <laughs> you know, you just don't give a shit. You please show up. You play well. You hope they like it, and then you get paid for it. Well, he's a pro. Have you auditioned for a big wig? Uh, no? Question mark? No. Uh, I got kicked out before that was ever an option. Oh, which band? They're like, Joe's going to blow this for us. Let's get him out of here. Really? I would have trusted you with my life. Uh, thanks, yeah, you're brother. the king right. of guitar. Ah, uh, thanks, guys. I uh, feel like you would have been the, the deal breaker. They would have been like, I like this guy's vibe. He's got the tight pants. Million. He's got the hair. Sign him. I don't care what they sound like. <laughs> the way he just threw his guitar down. Amazing. He just poured beer all over his guitar and walked <laughs> off stage. That man's a hundred feet tall. We, we'll yeah. save we'll save millions on stages. We'll just set him up in the crowd. He just left the feeding back. That was the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> art. That's the new art. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's nothing. Seymour Stein was asleep. It was like playing to nobody. <laughs> was it just him and like his catering tray? He had a handler, like a guy who was with him. And that like while we were playing, we look up and he was like unconscious, and we we're like, should we stop playing? And the guy was like. Because the thing is, like, the last... Was that a wrap it up gesture no, or like, a keep, keep going Keep it going. Gesture. Because the worst thing you could possibly do is for Seymour to wake up when there's not music happening. Oh, I heard so, he hates that. Yeah. 
So you want him to, you want to be ready still mid song when he wakes up, so okay. that way he's energized and he's and he feels like he's ready to sign you. Yeah, sounds uh, like an experience though. You know, it's, yeah. Well, he like rented a high rise practice space. We had to go up to like like a, what we're in right now. Kind of like this, but a, a little bigger than this room for sure. This is a pretty big room. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. Yeah, that was like that's how it felt right there. You encapsulated the whole experience. <laughs> It's like playing for anybody else in the any anybody's grandpa. We could use this part or not use this part, but Joe, is there anything that you would like to plug on the way out? Maybe there's nothing that we covered that you feel like represents you, or more so, just a way for people to find you. Yeah, where, they where do people to this find podcast. you? If they want you to record or they want to, I'm on the porch chilling. I got the acoustic guitar, the strings tuned open. Pretty much, you can pretty much play whatever, as we already discussed. It always sounds bomb. good. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good way to make friends with the neighbors because they're like, you're really good at the guitar, but it's just an open tuning. I'm not doing anything. That's where I'll be. Come say hi. We can talk about music. We could talk about whatever. I'll be there. Can you leave us with, uh, you know, maybe one or some of your favorite tour stories? Well, luckily I've been able to tour with a lot of musicians I always like super looked up to or thought were cool. There's There was the Algernon at... Gilman Street show. I could shut my eyes right now and just like kind of remember it because it was just always this legendary place. Maybe it wasn't sold out, but like it was very full and people were going crazy and we were having a beautiful time. And then there was a Shaky Knees Festival, I guess, was one of the first times Hopalong played in front of like, when you think of like playing in front of like a sea of people, you always watch the the videos of bands playing these huge festivals and like that seems crazy that'll never happen and then next thing you know it's just like we walked out you know we're all just shooting the shit backstage laughing like warming up then we walk out and it's just like people as far as you can see and then you're playing and you're like you you know how when you walk on stage and you're like this can go one or two ways very fast like you'll know the second like your two hits or strums into the first song like how you're feeling about it and just like feeling like you're crushing it like immediately. And then you were all just kind of like making eye contact, being like, we're doing really fucking good right now. You know what I mean? And just like feeling so good. And just like the sky is shining. There's birds going by. And there's people as far as you can see just being like, this is crazy. Like, how did we get here? And we're like obviously very aware of this, like looking at each other, like kind of giving each other these little smirks, like trying to hold back, like how like fucking crazy this is that we're like in this situation and that was the first of what ended up being like a pretty large handful of times that that happened and that one for me kind of sticks with me just like getting kind of chills thinking about that feeling of just like outside the wind blowing and just everything feels right and it's just like wow that's right how did we get here this is why we do this we smile hard when we're fucking crushing it, or at least when we think we're crushing it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love the fact that you guys are all so cool because you're dorks. Like, to have that level of being that down to earth, I think that makes you cool. Talking about Joe as a, a supposed dork now versus that hungover in college cool guy shit, the most quintessential <laughs> Joe Reinhardt moment I can think of is when we all used to do the 4th of July tubing trip that we do with down, which, oh, which yeah. river was that? Delaware River? Delaware River. Breck um, Green. With Breck, yeah, Breck Green. Everybody. Host host. Everybody. Yeah, it was like, high, I don't know, like fucking 50 to 100 of us. I don't even remember how many people there were. But there's that one section where there's like a small stone 
island in the middle that we all like inevitably crash into. And there's one side where it's like slow, easygoing water and the other side where it's like dangerous rapids where you just like fly past it. There was a day where, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but we most of us crashed into the, the island. And we're stepping around, like trying to like get a foothold on the rocks, but we are we're all have bare feet, so it's like uncomfortable and it hurts. And we're do, kind of doing like a general head count just to see where everybody wound up. And I realize like, oh, I don't see Joe anywhere. And I look out to my left towards the rapids, and you're just flying through the rapids <laughs> on a tube with a single giant tall boy in your hand and you make eye contact with us on the island and you just raise your beer up and cheers at us, take a big sip, and then you just vanish down the rapids. And I was like, man, there's a guy who just, even if he doesn't have it figured out, he's very relaxed. <laughs> let's, leave, let's leave everybody with that image. Yeah. <laughs> the pleasure was mine, guys. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me, Super Weeks. <laughs> <laughs>